Welcome to The Dark Divide, a podcast that takes a seat, dangles its legs over the edge, and stares into the abyss. This is the story of Richard Jones and Diana Ma Jones. On the morning of September 27, 2017, Anthony Purcell arrived to the home of his co-worker, Diana Ma Jones, to see if everything was all right. She didn't show up for work that morning and wasn't answering her phone. Both of those things were extremely uncharacteristic of her. At work the day before, she hadn't mentioned not feeling well or taking the day off. And honestly, Diana never took a day off anyway. Anthony made his way up the pathway to the house, and he noticed an orangish knife laying right there on the ground. He didn't really think much of it. It was strange because Diana and her husband Richard kept their lawn spotless, but who knows? You see some pretty weird stuff on the ground in Vancouver. The front door was locked and nobody answered Anthony's knocks or yells. And just before he arrived to the stairs at the back door, something already felt really off to Anthony. Diana's car wasn't in the driveway, but still something wasn't making sense. As Anthony got closer, he noticed a bright red shoe print of blood on the back steps. It stopped him in his tracks. He stared at it for a second. It was clearly blood, and so much of it, like the bottom of a shoe had been dipped in paint. As his eyes panned up before him, he noticed that the entire staircase was covered in bloody prints leaving the house. Anthony got out of his wheelchair and started up the steps, his gut telling him that he should check if Diana and Richard were safe. To his surprise, the back door was unlocked. It's Anthony, he bellowed. I'm coming inside. When he swung the door open, he had expected a dark and empty home, or maybe he was just hoping for one. All of the sound disappeared from around him as he was instead greeted with something he'd only seen in the movies. The door opened up into the kitchen and there was blood everywhere. On the stove, on the cupboards, on the ceiling, light fixtures and pools of it all over the floor. His adrenaline was pumping through his veins like fire as he headed back down the stairs to call 911, this time noticing a hatchet with blood on their lawn. Survival instincts took over, the shock leaning into denial, Anthony telling himself that he must be overreacting. Maybe it just looked bad, but it wasn't that bad. Either way, going into the house was no longer an option. He did his best to stay calm, a part of him already knowing that he was the first person to what was most likely a crime scene. When Vancouver police officers arrived, they passed the bloody footprints and entered the home noticing that the floors were entirely saturated with blood. There were streaks of blood at the entrance of their living room near the front of the house, and also what appeared to be drag marks of blood. Officer Peter Swan raised his rifle, announcing himself as he made his way from room to room, trying not to slip. All his time on the force, he'd never walked into a home like this before. He had no idea what to expect around each corner, but it just kept getting worse and worse. There were horrific signs of struggle everywhere. He was making his way to a distant noise in the house, recognizing the sound of running water. As he twisted the bathroom doorknob, he realized it wasn't locked. He took a deep breath and opened it, instantly overcome with a massive amount of steam. It must have been running hot water for hours because the tiny room was just a thick fog, making it nearly impossible to see a thing. A few seconds later, it began to disperse, revealing the faint silhouette of a body in the shower. Swan had to forcibly open the stall door, and once he did, he realized there were two bodies, a man and a woman, soaked in blood and water, pale and lifeless. Richard and Diana were familiar faces to many in the area, having lived in the neighborhood for years. 
At the time of his murder, 68-year-old Richard Jones had been suffering with debilitating health problems, relied on a walker to get around, and spent most of his days relaxing inside their bright blue house. He was retired and spent a lot of his free time drinking. Given his discomfort and pain, it was the cheapest and most enjoyable way to cope with how limited he felt in his day-to-day activities. But beneath his gruff exterior was a kind and generous man who had a tendency to be quite warm once you got to know him. In a way, he was the complete opposite of his wife. But throughout their 40-year marriage, their differences were what had kept them interested in each other and supportive of their individual goals and dreams. In some strange silver lining, even Richard's health conditions had added purpose to Diana's life, who was a highly respected occupational therapist. By 18 years old, Diana knew that she wanted to work with people in the medical field, but not as a doctor or nurse. She spent the next 20 years devoted to school, making her way through a diploma in occupational therapy, a Bachelor of Science in Occupational Therapy, and a Master's in Science and Healthcare Administration. Throughout the years, she held management positions in several provinces across Canada before landing at the GF Strong Rehabilitation Center in Vancouver, British Columbia. Eventually specializing as a frontline clinician for the spine unit, Diana was considered a healthcare hero, an innovator, and a leader in her industry. Her LinkedIn describes her as energetic, with clinical expertise in neurorehabilitation, spinal cord injury, home modifications, and designing aids and adaptations. And she wasn't just amazing at her job. She was totally devoted to her patients. She took the time to get to know their lifestyles, their personalities, and needs in order to invent different home modifications and other devices to make their lives easier. She won Outstanding Occupational Therapist of the Year in 2015, and it seemed that at even 64 years old, there was no stopping yet. Diana was as vibrant and fun-loving as ever. In her spare time, she would scour thrift stores for interesting pieces to use as modalities for physical therapy or grab coffee with friends. In contrast to Richard, she was as fit as a fiddle and had even been biking to work for over 40 years. She believed in good food, good sunshine, energetic work, and meditation. She loved telling people about how she was a member of Razzmatap, an award-winning tap dance group made of women ranging from 46 to 86 years old. And this wasn't just some small-time hobby. Diana had traveled with the group to Germany, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and of course, local shows all over British Columbia. The group had started in the 80s, and Diana had been dancing with them for 25 years, helping them win numerous competitions. Over time, authorities have realized that one of the most valuable ways to figure out who may have committed a crime is to study the victim of the crime. By figuring out someone's habits, interactions, current circumstances in life, etc., authorities can often pinpoint an area of probability when it comes to who, and sometimes even why. While forensic evidence would be collected at the scene, which would take time to test, police figured the next best thing would be to track Diana and Richard's movements around the time of the murder. Maybe that would give a clue as to why someone may want to hurt one or both of them. To say the couple had enemies seemed to be a complete stretch beyond the logical, but given that friends of Richard noticed that sometimes he could give a dose of a sharp tongue, get a little too heated after a few too many, well, maybe he said the wrong thing to the wrong person. Because one thing was clear. This had not been some robbery gone wrong. This had been an intentional murder. The scene itself gave little clues, yet a lot of evidence to collect and investigate. Analyzing the knife, the hatchet, and any possible DNA left behind would be top priority. In terms of motive, it definitely wasn't robbery, which is what authorities would have expected in a neighborhood like this. The only thing that seemed to be missing as far as anyone could tell were the car keys. 
Everything else, jewelry, computers, the television, and their wallets all remained untouched. By all appearances, it seemed targeted, or in the least, a gruesome crime committed by somebody who had inflicted massive amounts of hatred and absolute carelessness for human life. And with no suspects or even leads to go on as of yet, the public was warned to stay vigilant and safe. It's not as if Vancouver itself is stranger to crime, but this neighborhood in particular was hit with such an out-of-the-ordinary type of fear that they'd never experienced before. Many of the people on the same street as the Joneses had lived there for the majority of their lives. The reality that their suburban utopia had now fallen victim to the same dangers as the roughest parts of the city was devastating. Over 200 officers would be involved in the initial part of the investigation. As they searched for the missing vehicle, authorities also pieced together CCTV and security footage of both Richard and Diana's movements that day. Earlier in the evening, Richard is seen using his walker, making his way to the liquor store. He's hunched over and slow, heading back home. And as usual, Diana had been at dance class, rehearsing for an important performance they had the next day. Before heading home, she made a quick stop at Costco, arriving at approximately 7.59 p.m. and taking the groceries inside by 8.06. These everyday moments would be her last. From first glance at the scene, police felt like she must have been attacked shortly after entering. On September 28th, two officers working search patrol discovered the white Kia Soul only seven blocks away from the house. The day after, the car keys were found having been tossed in a flower bed on the same street. Through movements tracked on camera, they're able to see the vehicle being dropped off there around 10.45 p.m., and a figure walks away down the street with their hands inside their hoodie pocket. The male figure clearly has short dark hair and glasses on, and his face is illuminated in the headlights of the car that blink when he locks it. There had been tons of DNA to work with at the scene, given that it's nearly impossible, if not impossible, to murder two people in such a grisly and animalistic way without leaving behind a shred of physical evidence. But the male DNA left behind didn't bring up anything in their searches. The autopsy would show that Diana had fought for her life, scratching and clawing at her killer, scraping his skin beneath her fingernails. She died quickly after her carotid artery was slashed open, and Richard had lost so much blood. Every part of his body was covered in stabs, dozens of them having been inflicted well after he was already dead. Whoever had murdered this helpless elderly man had done so with a burning rage. This had been an event full of high emotion. The investigation team had also been collecting other evidence diligently, tracing the hatchet back to Canadian Tire, a retail store known for hardware and appliances, sports, and outdoor gear. The hatchet sticker with its numerical scan code had not only led them to the retailer, but Canadian Tire was able to use the serial number to quickly gather footage from the exact location where it was purchased from. The purchase itself had been made in cash, so the receipt had no card or name attached to it. Their buyer had also picked themselves up a black hat and a pair of gloves. Immediately, this looked like a kill kit. And there, on the screen, three weeks before the murders, was the same man who had abandoned the vehicle. They had DNA. They had a face. They had proof that he was in the car and had bought the items collected at the scene. Now all they needed was a name. Not wanting to tip him off, they canvassed a wide area surrounding the two square blocks that he'd been seen walking in after getting out of the car. For thousands of hours over the span of weeks, police watched and waited, until finally they saw him again. And this time, it was a golden opportunity, because Mr. Likes to Pay in Cash needed to withdraw some from the bank. Authorities were able to obtain his name from the teller, and finally, their missing piece was right in their hands. But Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam only had a traffic accident in Alberta on his record. He didn't fit any kind of profile, and he didn't seem to have any connection, as far as they could tell, to Richard or Diana. This opened up the possibility that maybe he'd just happened to be involved in car theft, 
Or maybe he hadn't worked alone. A small part of the investigation now held a bit of hesitancy. If they got this guy's DNA, would it even be a match? So the new target mission was to obviously get Rocky's DNA, see if it was a match, and make their arrest. If Rocky was their guy, the last thing they wanted was any loophole, any misstep, or any lack of evidence to get in the way of keeping him off of the streets. But it wouldn't be as easy or as fast as they'd hoped. Rocky stayed in his house constantly. Even with 24-hour surveillance on him for weeks, officers only noted him leaving his home three times total. And when he did leave his house, he never discarded anything, never grabbed a coffee or smoked a cigarette. The only thing Rocky did was go grocery shopping. Fearing for public safety, the police knew that they couldn't just wait around any longer for the chance of some discarded DNA. They'd have to get it themselves. So one evening, as Rocky was leaving the grocery store, an undercover female officer with an arm in a sling grabs his attention. Hey, sorry to bug you, but can you open this for me? She laughed, holding up a little pill container. Um, and maybe this too? She laughed, holding up a water bottle. As they joke back and forth, Rocky twisted at the cap, struggling to get it to budge. You can use your teeth if you want. It's okay, I don't care. She giggled with friendly eyes. Rocky put the bottle between his teeth and bit down. Inside an unmarked vehicle in the parking lot, police let out an exhausted sigh of relief. It had been over a month of 24-7 manpower, and it was all worth it. On November 6th, 2017, Rocky Rambo was finally arrested. Rocky Rambo Wayneam Cam was named after his father's massive Sylvester Stallone obsession. From what police could tell, Rocky was born in Hong Kong and immigrated to Alberta, Canada with his family as a teenager. He'd recently moved to Vancouver just that summer, telling his parents that he felt like it was a promising place to secure a career after studying economics. Sergeant Leah Terpsma had pretty much seen it all and usually had a keen sense for what kind of perp and motive she was working with. But Rocky evaded her so far. There's no way that anybody walking down the street would look at this guy and think, wow, that's a cold-blooded murderer. Observations up to this point had given an impression of an immature and awkward young man who came across a lot younger than he was. And yet, he was their guy. His DNA matched the male DNA left at the scene. Later, they would discover Diana's DNA on the frame of his glasses. From what they could tell, he had worked alone. Leah prepared herself for the usual. Injustice collecting, bad blood between neighbors, maybe some stressors in his personal life. It was clear that this quiet loner had a wild rage simmering beneath that calm exterior. Not only had the scene been brutal and vicious, but given all the evidence carelessly left behind, Leah almost felt like these things were either calling cards or maybe a subconscious begging to be caught. They weren't sure yet if they had a serial killer on their hands, or maybe just one in the making. Either way, she would find out. Leah had brought harder men than this to tears. Confident that she would end the day knowing why Richard and Diana were dead, she took a deep breath, grabbed her coffee, and headed into the interrogation room where Rocky was waiting. Sergeant Leah Terpsma had seen her share of vicious crimes and sat in rooms with some of the coldest criminals in the country. She was patient, cunning, and strategic, working with her team, who would be observing and collecting information while she sat with Rocky. Leah was ready for whatever. Given the crime scene, her background knowledge on profiling, and the surface info that they'd been able to collect about everyone involved, she was juggling a few theories in the air. Despite having been arrested for murder, Rocky enters the interrogation room in fairly good spirits. He walks over to a chair in the corner in his shorts, a blue Patriots hoodie, and flip-flops. He's polite and at least has some sense of awareness about respecting authority. The arresting officer jokes with him about his names, but Rocky chuckles with disgust and says he doesn't like the name Rocky Rambo. 
He crosses one leg over the other knee, finding a rhythm with the officer, almost as if he's in a slight fawning response. Then Rocky is alone for the next 38 minutes. He sighs, takes swigs of water, adjusts the height of his chair, takes in his surroundings, and occasionally laughs to himself. He repeats the action of removing the water bottle cap, taking a small drink, and replacing it, over and over again. He looks at the arrest notice he's been given. He lies his head back onto his chair, possibly in an attempt to appear bored or tired. But chances are Rocky's adrenaline is pumping. His nervous system is screaming for him to run out that door, but he can't. And his mind is racing with what his lawyer just said to him on the phone. Don't tell them a single word. He changes positions eventually and puts his head down on the table. He hears sounds of doors and locks in the hallway, and sighs when nobody comes in. He rubs his eyes, annoyingly grumbles to himself, puts his head down again and stays there like that for another 20 minutes. 40 minutes in, Leah enters the interrogation room, introduces herself, and asks Rocky how he is, jokes that he's probably had better days, to which Rocky says, yeah, sure. Leah sits down across from him. She's not exactly blocking the door, but she's in line enough with it that Rocky can't look at his way out of that room without looking at her. She keeps her posture open, her legs slightly apart, arms open on both armrests, and she talks to him, explaining that coffee's on the way. Rocky says no thanks. You don't like coffee? Oh my god. You aren't a millennial, Leah jokes. When she asks if he'd like anything else, he says he'd like a snack, please. She suggests a sandwich, and he says he'll take anything. Whatever is fine. She tells him that if he needs anything at all while they talk, a bathroom break, something to eat or drink, just let her know. She also makes sure to ask how he's feeling, if he needs any sort of medication, and how his health is. Leah is a master at both the legal process and empathetic range of an interrogation. She doesn't lose the element of humanity during interactions with criminals, but this also leaves little chance for Rocky to later criticize the conditions of the interview. Leah also lets him know that they're being recorded and asks if he was treated well by the police when he was arrested. Rocky says he was surprised and chuckles nervously. Leah clears away any possibility that Rocky has been threatened or promised anything so that they can get down to business. Rocky swivels in his chair, making eye contact when he's answering Leah but never maintaining it, and swigs water several times in just a couple minutes. Often when a person is in a state of anxiety or distress, they tend to breathe out of their mouth. This combined with the fact that adrenaline can shut off the salivary glands, it's no surprise that Rocky's throat is dry. And the bottle of water won't just supply hydration, but it will become a way for Rocky to fidget with something, pay attention to something else besides Leah, and hold something, almost as if it's a wall between the two of them. Leah thanks him for being pleasant, because so far Rocky has been very polite. He laughs, furrowing his brow, slightly confused. Finally, she asks him if he knows why he's here today. But Rocky talked to a lawyer, and he isn't going to be broken down that easily. He's swigging water and looking around, desperately trying to find a reason to fixate his eyes on something else. But the room is stark, on purpose. Leah pulls out a photo of Diana and Richard, and it's then that Rocky takes a deep breath, looks away, and says that he has nothing to say. He drinks more water as Leah continues to push, sighing and staring up at the ceiling. He closes his eyes and says, I don't want to talk about it. It's only been a few minutes, but Leah doesn't mind going slow with Rocky. There's also an obvious language barrier, as English isn't his first language. And Leah has seen her share of nice guys before, who have that bit of darkness waiting to explode beneath the surface. She was just getting started. But the fact that this topic suddenly brought up obvious emotion in Rocky is a good indication that he absolutely knows why he's there. At one point, while Leah explains the procedure about the investigation to him, Rocky picks up the photograph, takes a quick look at it, and immediately puts it back, all within a second. 
Leah takes her time explaining that it would be nice to know why he's on video, what happened to these people, what his position is on all of this. And Rocky says, what do you mean? The issue is that Rocky isn't interested in what Leah is saying, and when she starts rambling too slowly, Rocky checks out. He responds better when it's to the point, without a lot of example or metaphor. Well, if you know them, great. I'd like to hear it. Rocky furrows his brows, chuckles with disgusted amusement, and says again, I have nothing to say. She says she's going to assume that means he doesn't know them. And Rocky acknowledges this slightly, by shaking his head no, and then looking away. So... I'm going to get some sandwiches going. So do you have any understanding of why you're here today? Yeah. Yeah, what's your understanding of the reason you're here today? That you sat out on the rest for two counts of murder. Yeah, do you know anything about that? The name of it. Do you, do you know those people? No, you don't know them. Okay, good. Well, that's good to know. Um, have you... Have you have you heard about anything about this in the news or anything like that? I don't watch news. Oh, you know. That's smart because the news will get you depressed for sure. So then, yeah, the reason that you're here, Rocky, is that, you know, you're one of many people that we've talked to. And there's been times when we've seen you in the neighborhood. So we knew that you lived near nearby and so that's one of the reasons why we're talking to you here among a few other things as well but you know it's um helpful to me to learn that you you didn't you don't know those people um here they are here do you recognize those folks uh i have nothing to say yeah go ahead i have nothing to say okay all right, so with regard to these people, uh, are they familiar or neighborly with you? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. So obviously this brings up some something emotional for you, Rocky. Seeing... I don't have nothing to say. Okay. Well, of course that's your prerogative, for sure. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Prerogative means it's your choice. It, that, that's your your druthers to do that. I just want to make sure that if there is something that you want to talk about, that I give you every opportunity to do that. Um, you seem confused by all this, so um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we came in and and gave you uh, any opportunity. If you did know those people, then um, it might explain some of the you know the video that we have in the in the neighborhood and stuff that you know we're, that you're there maybe your friends are theirs I don't know maybe you're upset because your friends are no longer with us I don't know but uh, it's my my duty to make sure that I give you an opportunity to talk about that if you want to you know what I mean Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I um, these things they y you understand how police investigations work, I'm sure, and that you don't. Know, have you ever been arrested before, Rocky? No. No. Okay. Well, um, there. You know, a lot of times they start out very, very broad, and we end up with a big net full of, full of. Of people and and slowly those um, 
those investigations, they narrow and narrow and narrow. And um, it, it helps us to focus and, you know, find where we're headed next. So that's what we're doing here today, is just to find out what, you know, your involvement in this situation. If, in fact, you have any involvement in this situation. So if you know those people, uh, it would be nice to hear an explanation of, for that. If you don't know them, that's that's fine too. I just would like to know what you what your position is on that. What do you mean? Well, just about these people. Like I, I'm unclear. Like I would like to clear that up. If you know them, then great. I would love to hear it. I have nothing to say. Okay. So from that, I'm kind of assuming that you don't know them. No, okay. Well, thanks. Yeah, that's just basically what I wanted to know. Leah backs off slightly and starts to get background information straight from the source. Between swigs of water, Rocky explains how he moved from Alberta looking for work. Unlike a lot of people, Rocky didn't come to BC for the outdoor activities. He's an economics major who doesn't have much of a skill set. He says there isn't much he can do. At one point, his roommate offered him a gig moving furniture, but that didn't last long. Rocky isn't particularly close with his family, but he can explain the basics about his siblings and parents. His mother is a retired teacher. His father is an engineer who Rocky claims hates his profession. Sad to say, Rocky tells Leah, but I live off of my parents' money. Rocky knows that other people may judge this, but Rocky himself doesn't mind at all. He's in no rush to get a job, and if anything, he feels entitled to take as much time as he wants while his parents pay his way. Even though he is occasionally still looking around the room, he's talkative and responsive as he speaks about his family and current life situation. Leah is both collecting information about him and building rapport. This is also demonstrating a baseline for Rocky's communication style and emotional range. But once Leah starts to ramble a little too long, Rocky has time to sit and think about what his lawyer told him, and he gets a little confused about these questions that don't pertain to the reason why he's even there in the first place. Rocky can speak Mandarin and Cantonese, and Leah compliments his English, saying that it's better than her Cantonese. Rocky laughs and jokingly begs her, please, don't speak it. She clarifies that he's able to understand her, and he is. That must make you really valuable to employers, she says. But Rocky's parents don't pressure him, so he really doesn't pressure himself when it comes to finding a job. With that, there's a knock at the door for sandwich delivery. Rocky asks if he can go to the bathroom, and Leah says that she'll grab a boy to go with him. She quickly returns to the room to grab a pen that she almost leaves on the table. She's gone for a few minutes, and this is the first time that Rocky stops his constant water drinking. He yawns loudly and sighs. When the officer comes to take Rocky for a break, you can hear Rocky asking him for some more water as they walk off. It's 2 p.m. and Rocky hasn't eaten since breakfast, so he's happy enough about the turkey sandwich. While they both eat, they make chit-chat about Rocky's day-to-day -day life and his experience in university. He explains that he found it easy, but overall, he's not a smart person. Leah says that she found economics hard, so he must be smarter than he says. There's so many strategies that she can throw at the wall to see what sticks. Making Rocky feel like the smarter one in the room wouldn't hurt. He has an older brother and younger sister, nieces and nephews. When Leah asks if he wants to have children someday, he thinks about it and says maybe. Rocky isn't grasping the magnitude of the situation he's in. She takes a break from rapport building and confronts Rocky in a pleasant way, most likely hoping to catch him off guard while he freely rambles on about details that don't matter. Since he's already spoken to a lawyer who stressed over and over that he not say a single word about the crime, Leah's approach to the emotional relief that talking about it would bring him falls flat. 
Rocky doesn't care about emotions. And Rocky doesn't care that he's the only one who can tell his story right now, because he hasn't decided what his story is yet. There's also the tactic of drawing out curiosity in a suspect and making them interested in what evidence the police have against them. Leah is already getting the obvious impression that maybe Rocky thinks they don't have much of anything on him. He couldn't be more wrong. What do you wish we knew about you? What? Is there anything you wish I knew about you to tell people, uh, the investigators? Why? Why? Well, because, um, I don't know, you're under arrest for murder, so you'd think you'd be saying, listen, no, I'm... Here's what I want you to know. Like, for instance, um, I'd be super interested in your, um, what you were doing on the 26th of September. Because if I can get an alibi, do you know what an alibi is? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, if there's an alibi, I can go and... I don't think I have anything to say. Okay. Well, you know, Rocky, that's not uncommon. Because I sit with a lot of people in this room in your shoes. Most people feel that way at the beginning. Well, I have to say, most people, once they see what they're facing and what's going on, they change their mind because they realize that um, there's benefit in talking about... Pardon? They realize that there's a benefit to them emotionally to talk about what happened. So um, we'll, we'll go through some things for sure, but I, I totally respect your position that you, you at this point you don't want to talk about it. But you, you might change your mind, and I'm going to suggest you probably will. I don't think so. No. I've done this more times than you. Yeah, I know. Trust sure. me. Yeah. Trust me. It's a lot of work. How long are you going to hold me? I don't know. I'm not in charge of the investigation, but right. I have a lot of things that I'd like to talk with you about. So, for my part, I, you know, I have a lot of material. So, I think you're going to want to see the material I have. Mm. I do. She asks him how he's been feeling these days, and Rocky says right now, not so good. Although he notes that he's been sleeping fine. And he laughs when she asks things like this. What do his sleep habits have to do with anything? Rocky doesn't realize that every single word he says, even the things that seemingly don't have anything directly to do with the murders, is valuable. On the topic of sleep, Rocky has questions. If you're going to hold me, I'm going to sleep in a cell, right? And he asks if they have mattresses. Leah says yes and asks what his biggest concern is. Rocky tells her that he just wants to know if it's comfortable enough. That is very interesting, Leah responds to his self-serving questions. Well, I won't sleep later, so I want some... I'll be very... How do I say? I don't know. Crying? He laughs. You feel sad and you think you might be crying later? Leah clarifies. Maybe, Rocky says with a sigh. She asks if he's been crying at all lately, and his answer is also interesting. No, I didn't know that guy. Rocky is referring to Richard as an individual instead of the couple. This could be considered significant as police are heading into the interrogation under the assumption that maybe Rocky does know them and that this was personal somehow. While they eat, Rocky mimics her behavior. She's holding her sandwich with one hand, resting her other arm on the chair. 
And even though Rocky is struggling to do so, he also eats his sandwich mostly with one hand. He takes bites nearly at the same time she does. He crosses one leg over the other when hers are crossed. He still looks away from her and avoids eye contact whenever he can, but the subconscious copying is possibly demonstrative of the chameleon effect. Contrary to popular belief, yawning isn't the only thing that's considered quote-unquote contagious. Totally unaware, some of us unconsciously adopt neutral mannerisms of those around us to encourage positive perception and acceptance. Rocky goes to speak something, and then says, hmm, I better not ask. Ask and you shall receive, Leah encourages him. He laughs, lets out a sigh of relief, and asks how long they can hold him. He has things to do. Groceries, laundry, he has to buy new clothes. His irritation is showing. He wants to play video games, eat the food he likes. He doesn't want to sit in some room with a lady who is trying to trap him. He mentions how he fell for a scam when he first moved to Vancouver that cost him $1,000. He gave the money to someone in cash without even seeing the apartment he was handing over the money for. The person took it, Rocky was out of cash and a place to live, and he never forgot it. He doesn't trust people anymore, and he certainly doesn't trust the police. No, it just seems no, like I don't this know. is a the sad lawyers idea. told me that you're gonna hold me until 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 I don't know when, but you said it's gonna be a long time. And um, I need to wait. I missed what you said there. You said either way. I need to wait. You're gonna wait. I need to wait. Okay. Well, I'm patient. I'll wait for you. I'm not. You're not patient? You know why you're not patient? I don't think anyone will be patient to, like, hold here to, well, without anything. Like, I want to play video games, but, well, that's not much of a choice. <laughs> no, we don't have a lot of video games, Rocky. That's true. So, I... I'm forced to not play video games and to eat the food I want to eat, that kind of thing. Of course, I'm present. <laughs> but, well, this murder is serious, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That is one of the downsides, is that your options kind of get limited on what you get to do with your spare time. Do you think it's fair? Fair what? Well, you just mentioned a few things that you'd rather be doing. Rather be eating. It's some. not the metal fair. It's just I don't have any power. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you need to hold me, <laughs> I can't be feels. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, that's true. But you do have a lot of power. No, I don't think so. No, I know you do. But I'm gonna explain that to you that you actually have a lot of power here today. You're quite right that you don't get to play video games. Um, you don't get to walk out of here, but but you do have a lot of power, Rocky. I'm sensing some... not not something I would hear. <laughs> not something you want to hear? Maybe. It doesn't feel like you are... I don't know. Oh. <laughs> My English is really not that good. I couldn't find a word. Okay. Use another word. Like what? I don't know. I don't know what you're trying to explain. I don't know if I speak Japanese, you don't understand so well. <laughs> no, that's true. But say it differently in English so I can understand you. 
feel like a trap. <laughs> okay. Well. Yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> right, I can understand that. Well, that makes sense. That's what you do. But, but. but let me explain this to you, Rocky. Okay. The trap, if it's set, mm -hmm. it was set by you. Mm -hmm. hmm. What do you mean? Well, I'm going to show you some things. And they don't have anything to do with me. Okay. And they have everything to do with you. Uh huh. So, if you feel trapped, or or there's a trap, I mean, it, it, it is. Um, I don't know. I I don't know how I would feel in your shoes. I mean, I'm not um, trying to say that your feelings aren't valid, because I think they obviously are. But. I'm going to be 100% truthful with you today. I don't know if that assuages or, or helps to eliminate fears. Fears that you think that I'm setting a trap or that I'm trying to trap you. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Rocky, I'm going to be honest with you today. Well, I'm not enough to trap trust person, but it seems I'm not very good at that. What did you just say? You said you're a trusting person and you've regretted yeah, that? but, well, three months ago, when I was the first in Vancouver, um, well, how do you say? was a fraud. Take a thousand bucks from me, and, well, that's not very good. <laughs> and, well, I trust him, but um, I don't know if you guys catch him or not, or bury it or not. But, well, the police said they are investigating, but, well, I don't know. But Rocky doesn't seem to understand that since he hates using a credit or debit card and does everything in cash, the police unfortunately couldn't rectify the situation. Leah, of course, already knows that Rocky prefers to use cash. That's how he bought the murder weapons. She clears up other background information. Did he fly or drive to Vancouver? Has he ever lived in Edmonton? How often does he go out? Does he have a bus pass, etc.? Authorities still have no idea if this is a one-and-done deal or if Rocky has murdered before. There continues to be a bit of a language barrier, causing Rocky to pause or frown when he's trying to figure out what she means. And he reminds her again that he's not smart. Leah says that she doesn't think that's true. She then tells him a bit of her background, keeping it conversational. She mentions that she works in the polygraph department and does a lot of pre-employment interviews for the police. So she interviews a lot of people in their 20s, fresh out of school, just like Rocky. Leah asks him if there's anyone who will miss him, which at first Rocky doesn't understand, and then says, maybe. When asked if he has a girlfriend, he laughs. The unthinkable for Rocky, who barely leaves his house to do anything besides get groceries. He's lived his entire life online. She attempts to talk about a car accident he had in Alberta, trying to see if he felt upset or had trauma from it, or maybe he'd just been angry. He doesn't really care. Then there's a few back-and-forth hit and misses between them. Leah will respond to something Rocky asks in a totally different context than he means it. He's almost always talking about their interrogation, and she's almost always answering with the big picture of him ending up in prison. This might be on purpose, but it doesn't seem to make Rocky feel smarter than Leah. If anything, he comes across frustrated, feeling misunderstood, and often too apathetic to try and explain himself to her in a different way. As they're wrapping up hour two, Rocky's finished with his sandwich and returns to his water bottle fixation. Leah is moving into new territory that's tougher than the questions she's been asking, and he can sense it. His tone becomes colder, and he reminds her that he has nothing to say. 
Now that lunch is over, Leah wants to start showing Rocky piece by piece everything that they have, hoping that he'll fill in the gaps of what they don't. You're making me nervous. Rocky sighs, frowns, and looks off. Leah asks if he's ever been inside that house. I don't want to talk about it, he replies. I, I think I have a sense of it, but um, when somebody acts out uh, in a way that draws the attention of the police, um, there's usually a, a big story behind that. It doesn't happen in one day, Rocky. It happens in a lot of days and a lot of months and a lot of years of something going on. And you're the very best person to talk to about it. Well, that's your experience. I could not agree with that. <laughs> I don't know much about that. But you know yourself. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, but I'm afraid. <laughs> what are you afraid of? I'm afraid that I can't, I can't say anything that. <laughs> well, maybe I already said it, but. I can't see anything that makes you satisfied. I don't know. Well, I mean, you, you're not here to satisfy me, uh, for sure, Rocky. You're here to satisfy yourself. I mean, there's a, there's something in front of you, and I don't know if you know how serious it is or not. Yet. But murder, right? It's murder. Yeah. yeah but um, I'm not sure if you understand the, the magnitude of um, I, of the, the largeness, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. you know that one good. <laughs> but I'm just waiting for your word. Yeah, word. you know the magnitude of what's going to happen and what's going on. I mean, I want you to have an opportunity to to address this because I don't think it's really fair that we only know. We only know what's in that house. Okay? Why are you laughing? What do we infer that you know the house? What? What I'm saying is that right now, Rocky, we have done a thorough investigation about what happened in that house. Mm -hmm. And you, you and I both know what happened in that house. I don't know, actually. You haven't tell me. Okay. Well, maybe you don't know this house. Let me ask. Uh, you're making me nervous. All right. Do you know this house? Maybe you don't know what happened in that house. I have nothing to say. Have you been inside this house? I don't want to talk about it. So is that a yes? I don't want to talk about it. Okay, so we're back where I was. That I think, you know, it's very clear to me, Rocky, that you know exactly what I'm talking about. And what I'm saying to you, Rocky, is that I don't, I, I, I'm the person who's going to be here to listen to what you have to say, to hear this complicated situation that you were in before that day. There's something very complicated. And it is unfair for the investigation that went on inside that house to be the only thing that we see about you. I don't think fair is more important. You don't think fair is important? Well, at least you're just trying to do your job, sorry. Well, no. <laughs> Not really, Rocky. 
Not really. So you're misunderstanding something. You're watching too much TV, bro. No, 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 no. That's well. How can I say? What What you think is not important, actually. That's well. You got evidence. You think? I don't know. Why do you think that's what What's happened to you before that night isn't important. I don't know what night you're talking about. Actually. I'm talking about September 26th of this year. So about、uh, five weeks ago. I'm bad in days. Okay, well, I, 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 I believe I already said that. So,、uh, and I really have nothing to say. <laughs> okay, so Rocky, this wouldn't happen to be the house where you rented a room and the guy took your money, is it? No, of course not. No. If if I if you want to know, I could tell the name of the floor. Okay. I just wondered if that was involved here because it was on my mind. Leah gathers more information about this apartment scam situation while Rocky continues to nervously crinkle the water bottle in his lap. He tells her that he knows the person who did it. The guy is really young and handsome, and Rocky has had more important things to do than make a police report about it, like finding an actual apartment. He knows he'd never get the money back anyway; it's already been spent. Rocky'd hung out with the guy and gone to a strip club with him. So it definitely had nothing to do with Richard or Diana. Rocky clearly doesn't trust the situation he's in. He doesn't trust that when the police arrest you for murder, they've got you for murder. He hasn't had many interactions with the police besides the car accident and getting arrested, and he wasn't too pleased about how that was done in public. He was humiliated, and he almost didn't believe them. Do you believe them now? Leah jokingly holds up her arms, and Rocky genuinely laughs. Officer safety wouldn't have them walking into anything blind. And authorities would have been working on a warrant for Rocky's home, as well as gathering specific items from it during the interrogation itself. Rocky realizes now that everyone has something to hide, sheepishly mentioning his colorful browser history. Nothing illegal, but you know, embarrassing. Leah assures him that she'll get him a copy of the search warrant so that he can see every single thing that was searched and seized. He fans his face as if to joke that he's nervous and doesn't want to see it. Do you think the search warrant isn't going to be real? Leah asks. Oh, this police station is real," Rocky says, wrapping his knuckles against the wall. He doesn't seem worried that they'll find anything related to the murders, but Leah still calls him out on his visible stress, and it's true. Rocky knows that he can't avoid the part of viewing the evidence they have on him forever. He jokes that he wishes he had his phone. Until the actual murder, Rocky's only coping skills involved his phone or his computer. He's tense. He's fidgeting. Leah tries to reassure him. She holds out her hand for a shake, asking him to keep his mind open and trust her. I haven't had any interaction with them. No,、oh, I've had quite a bit of interaction with the police today. Yeah, yeah. Been okay, huh? Well,、uh, not not so okay actually. <laughs> I I finish.、Uh, I take my bath. I'm going out to buy new pants, new shoes. Uh, waiting for a bus stop, and two guys, and then two guys come here. I, I thought they were waiting for a bus, and then a guy come here. Oh, I thought he was going to run, so I go up, and、uh, and then they grab me,、mm. and well, and they say that they're police, but how do I know? Do <laughs>、right. you believe know. them now? Uh, <laughs> you're funny. I don't know. I hear it all the time. I don't know. Maybe they. I don't know. TV they show their badge first. I don't know.、Mm -hmm. 
but they just grab. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they they gangs. Actually, I thought someone is trying to harm me. Actually. Oh really? <laughs> Three people trying to grab me. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden. Did you see the uniform policeman there? No. Not at all. No. Oh, there was a few there. No, I don't see any. Ah. They are just wearing casual. Right. Yeah, casual. And then they just grab me, and I was I was like trying to play my phone. Okay. Well, they were the real thing, and here you are. I don't know. <laughs> If they want to arrest him, why don't why don't they? I don't know. Came to the house. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of reasons, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine why? I don't. I can't. I don't know why, but. Well, mostly because they're they're um, getting a search warrant today for your house. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah. They're going to be searching your house. Maybe they're searching it already. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's most certain. <laughs> yeah. Most what? Certainly. They, they, of course they are. <laughs> Most certainly. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's what they're doing there. Yeah, but I. Well, just some. That seems to shock you a little bit. No, I just realized. Well, every man have something they want to hide anyway. Sure. Like what? <laughs> Porn. <laughs> Porn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, don't worry about that. Everybody has porn in their house. Yeah, but I know that, and I, I, I sure know they, they won't do anything about that. But is there any porn on, on there that you're worried about? Mm, what do you mean worried about? Well, sometimes there's pornography, and then there's illegal pornography. Ah, uh, <laughs> I don't know much about that law. No, well, pornography so. that involves children. No. There's pornography that involves um, bodily harm, which means uh, someone is being cut or oh. hurt really badly. Oh. That, okay. kind of no, that kind of stuff. You know, that kind of thing. Is there anything like that? No. No? Okay, good. Um, so, uh, if I was going to talk with you again sometime, Rocky, how would I get a hold of you? Like, what kind of email address do you keep? I don't use too much email. How do you communicate? Phone. Phone? Yeah. So you don't email? Not if necessary. Really? Like finding job, sure, you need to email. <laughs> What's your email address? Can I email you? Uh, no, thanks. <laughs> Just <laughs> call hurt. me, please. Just call me. I'm hurt. Just call me. Call you on what number? You have my phone number. Do I? Is it the Calgary number? Or do you have a BC yeah, number? Calgary number. Okay. Well, um, what else are you worried about there at the house? Worry? Worry, yeah. Uh, stress, stressing about that search warrant. Stress? Stress. Oh, stressing? Yeah. I don't think anyone would like <laughs> Someone stress your room, right? Yeah. That's not very pleasant. What do you mean what's not pleasant about it? Someone's searching your house. Oh yeah, that's not pleasant. Everyone's got their privacy. Yeah, right. Well, I'll get you a copy of that search warrant so you can look at it. No thanks. <laughs> you don't want to see it? If, if the lawyer said it, yes, sure, but 
it's, it, yeah, I understand English, but I don't know any right, any law about it. So it, it's, it, has, it, it doesn't have any meanings. You, you just <laughs> write, write papers and write down a search warrant. Okay, oh, let's search warrant, okay. Do you mean you think it might not be real? <laughs> that's pretty yeah, real. That's anyway. pretty real, yeah. Yeah, that search warrant is going to be pretty real. Is there anything in that house that you're concerned about? No. Is there any reason why we'll find anything in your house um, with regard to these people? No, I don't think so. No? That I could be sure. Okay. I can see that gives you some stress, Rocky. Of course it is. Can I relieve that stress for you at all? No, I don't think so. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, if that's right, don't search my room, but you sure you could wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna do that, I'm afraid. So they, they are. So what? <laughs> but um I don't know, sometimes we can alleviate stress. Sometimes people have pets or they have letters they want to go off to certain people or they want to save certain things for certain people. And so, uh, you know, if there is any... Yeah, that's the way to relieve my stress. Give me my phone. <laughs> you want your phone? I want, I want to play video games, pay apps. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about I, that. I, I, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I, I'm sure you, you wouldn't do it, but... I would if I could. Uh, How's that? Yeah, I just have a, well, promise. I need to do something in the game, on that game. Oh. So, with my friends. Is there someone that you want us to call to tell no, them you'll be able no, to do it? No, or no, no. They'll just, just understand. The thing is, it's not very important. Oh, yeah. To, for friend? you guys, for you guys, it's not very important. It's important to you, though. Well, keeping farmers is important. Mm, that's good to hear. But well, you are, I'm, I don't think I'll get my phone back. Okay. You guys get it. <laughs> at, least, at least not today. Not today, no. And that's all it takes to break a promise. Mm -hmm. Well, Rocky, I'm gonna show you some things today. And I really hope, and uh, you know, I hope that you'll make a promise to me. No, I don't make promises. Well, uh, at least, at least, I don't think I'll make it here. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's hear me out because it may be an easy promise to keep. No. Oh. Some promises are hard, and some are easy. Yeah. I didn't trust that person to make a promise, but I'm sure you're not. You're not my friend. No, 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 no one in this building is my friend. I'm gonna tell you something truthfully, Rocky, and uh, you're right, we aren't friends. But there is a difference between uh, friends and humanity. Yeah. You can show humanity towards another person without being friends. Yeah. And without um, complete. Yeah, but I'm not in a position to trust you. I'm forced to be here, so I, I couldn't trust anyone any time anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that, let's let's break that down. I mean, I think that you, you feel that way on a personal level, but I think you can rest your mind and trust that I'm going to tell you the truth. Right? 
because I'm not ever, I haven't been telling you anything that's sugarcoating it or making things easier. I hope, I hope you haven't, but it's well, not what that, part of it has it, been nice? It hasn't been right. It's all been bad news. So I've been truthful, and I'm going to continue to be truthful. So you can trust that. Yeah, but you you do realize it's it's a murder. It's serious. Yeah, I do understand that. Um, sometimes you know what, Rocky? Sometimes it really makes sense to bury your head in the sand when serious things are going on. Sometimes it makes sense. Yeah. In this case, I'm going to say I don't think it makes sense. So I'm going to show you some things. You're going to see why I feel that way. I'm not just going to expect you to trust me or believe me. I just want you to to make me a promise, a commitment that you're going to keep your mind open. That's all. That's an easy promise yeah. to keep, right? Rocky? You're going to show here. me anyway. Right? I am. Right here. Come on, shake my hand. Uh, okay, promise me you're going to keep your mind open. You're going to look at this stuff. Uh, okay? And you're going to trust me to tell you the truth. Because I am going to do that, I promise you. Before Leah steps out to go grab the material evidence, she offers Rocky empathy, noting that he minimizes his achievements and maybe his lack of self-esteem has something to do with why they're in this room. Like most things she says, Rocky just frowns in confusion to this. She takes the food wrappers, says she'll get more water for him, and leaves him alone in the room again while she discusses things with her team. During this time alone, Rocky takes off his glasses, sighs, rests his head on the desk, and stays there for 40 minutes. Then he sits up, rubs his belly, stretches, rubs his eyes, yawns, and waits for another 10 minutes. He laughs to himself at one point. When Leah comes back in and asks how he's doing, he says, it's boring. All this silence might make Rocky a little more interested to talk. He goes for another bathroom break before heading into the fourth hour of the interrogation. Before Leah comes back into the room, Rocky has his arm and chin resting on the desk. He's folded up his arrest notice and he's flipping it around. He comes across young and bored, like a kid stuck in detention. Things have been moving at a slow pace, but they're about to speed up. You okay? She asks when she comes back in. I'm all right, Rocky says. Good, that's important to me. She puts down a thick binder on the table. She takes some time to explain to Rocky that they're about to go over evidence, and he's mentioned that this has been boring, but she hopes he's paying attention. There's a lot of power he holds, and a lot of decisions yet to be made, she tells him. What he's about to see is important. Rocky doesn't believe there's anything in this room that's about to make him feel empowered, but nonetheless he says okay. He doesn't want her to bring out the evidence they have against him, though. He just wants the interview to be over. He lets out a deep sigh as Leah opens the binder. Rocky then has a slight slip as she asks him if he's ever seen a ball cap like the one she shows him in the first photograph. Maybe. I don't know, he replies. Have you ever owned a hat like that one? He laughs at her, reminding her of the Rocky Rambo Company slogan. She further explains the importance behind the hat and says it will come up again. The weight she places on the ball cap may give Rocky the impression that that's all they have, but this is just the start. The gist of what Leah is trying to tell Rocky is, I'm starting small here to give you a chance to come clean. But instead of telling him straight to the point, she sort of loses him a little. It isn't lost on Leah, though. She's willing to push her own limits as well, and a more confrontational nature starts to pop up here and there. He occasionally frowns or laughs nervously at what she's saying. She tries asking again about the hat, and Rocky says he doesn't want to talk about it. She flips to the next page. Have you ever seen anything like that? She points to the axe that was left at the scene. 
She writes down the current time on the page to keep track of when he was first shown it, explaining what that is to Rocky. Yeah, I realize that, he mumbles. Oh, not everyone knows the 24-hour clock, but you do. I'm impressed by that. Rocky laughs at her, as if to say, doesn't everyone? He spends 15 hours a day playing video games that certainly use military time. In his world, that's nothing special. A tactic often used during interrogation is to try to make the person feel like the smartest one in the room. But there's this sense that every time Leah does this, it only makes Rocky doubt the police and their ability to actually pin him for murder. She calls him out on his visible discomfort, which he chalks up to being locked up in a room with her. Did it not occur to you that you'd end up here? (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Rocky laughs and grabs his water bottle, almost goes to twist the cap off, but changes his mind and puts it back on the table. His emotional support water bottle can't help him through this part. He's going to have to face it on his own. He has to stick with what his lawyer advised him to do. He swivels anxiously in his chair while Leah calls out his youthful approach of delusion. This is, um, this is a bald cap. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that before? Maybe. Tell me about it. I don't know. What, what do you want to know? No, I want to know, do you own that hat? It's a ball cap. Yeah, it is a ball cap. Have you ever owned a hat like that? I have nothing to say. Well, I mean, it's it's an important thing. Um, If you have owned a hat like that, I'd love to know about that. I, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to show you a little bit more later how that hat um, connects to this incident. Mm-hmm. You got to show it anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 uh, what I don't want to do is pretend between each other. I know that when you see that hat, that it has an impact on you and your mind is going about that hat. And so I don't want to pretend that that hat isn't important to the investigation. I'm going to tell you that hat is very important to the investigation. And if you have something to do with that hat, let me explain it to you this way, Rocky. When something like this happens, and it happens pretty often in Vancouver, actually, you know, uh, the person in your shoes, they have a lot of decisions to make, as I explained to you earlier, right? And they have a, there's a continuum of uh, time frame when I sit with them, when they decide to start making good decisions for themselves and good decisions for uh, their family. And so what I tend to like to do for people is I like to lay things out for them slowly so that you can demonstrate your willingness to be forthright and truthful. Sometimes people, it takes them right to the end. They, they have to see it all before they can face the facts and face the truth. And, and that's okay. I'm willing to sit with you as long as it takes, uh, you know, for you, for your comfort level. But this is the beginning. 
and I just want you to know that this hat is important to the investigation, and I, I know that you understand why. Have you ever seen that hat before? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. So, I mean, you and I both know that you've seen that hat before. I know for sure you have. And remember what I said to you earlier that I wasn't, I'm not going to bluff ever today. And I'm not going to lie to you, Rocky. But I'm going to tell you with 100% certainty that I know you've seen that hat before. And I'm going to show you how I know that in a little while. But I'm going to do this slowly because I want you to show your humanity to this case and to yourself. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say that, that people who have done bad things in their lives, we don't just, I know me when I've screwed up and I've done something bad, really bad, and I've done really bad things in my life, we can't just say, oh shit, I'm sorry. I apologize, you know, not. right? You can't do it. It's too hard. There's a process. There's a grieving process that has to go on with somebody like you. And today's the first day that you've realized, holy cow, I'm going to have to face this now. I have to deal with this. How am I going to deal with this? And it takes people some time to say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm, you know, I'm going to make some decisions here. And so that's why I am here, because I like to be that person, that conduit that helps to people to take the step towards doing the right thing. Because you've done some wrong things here. There's no doubt about that, Rocky. Very wrong things. But I'm not judging you for those things. I'm not. I'm judging you about what you do about it today. Okay? So there's a lot to go through yet. It's not just about a ball cap. Um, but I just want you to know I'm going to be very patient and, and let you do what's best for you. Do you have anything you want to say about that? No. Do you have any questions? Okay. So that's the ball cap. Have you ever seen anything like that? I'm just showing you the, the axe. It's just the time I'm putting there. Yeah, I that. Some people don't take because they don't understand the 24-hour clock, but you do. That's yeah. good. I'm impressed by that. Why do you understand the 24-hour clock? Why not? <laughs> I think, why, why don't people understand that? They don't. I don't know. I don't think before I was a policeman I would understand that. Mm, I understand that. I don't know why, but sure I do. Good. That's cool. Let's talk about that axe. I don't want to talk about it. I think I know why. Uh -huh. I think I know why you don't want to talk about that. Rocky, this isn't going to go away, just so you know. It seems um, a point of discomfort for you. Yeah, it is discomfort. Yeah, good. I have my discomfort. Yeah. What makes you most uncomfortable? Being in this room. Is it uncomfortable having to make decisions about this today? No, it's difficult to stay here. Yeah. Did it not occur to you that this might be the ultimate result of what happened? That someday it might culminate like this? 
I don't know what you're talking about. So then, Rocky, if you're telling me that you don't know what I'm talking about, then you don't know those people. You never went to that house. Is that what you're saying? I have nothing to say. Okay. Yeah, I can understand that position. I think you're um, trying to um, make things disappear. Or I think if you think that if you don't face it, that it'll go away. I think you have a very youthful, um, very youthful approach. Things don't go away. No. Did they for you in the last few weeks? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I think that you were bothered by this, uh, Rocky, because, you know, we talked to your landlord. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you know what he told us? Mm-hmm. He said that in the last few weeks, last five weeks, in fact, mm-hmm. that you used to be kind of a social guy and you'd sit out in the common areas of the house and use your computer and talk with the other tenants and things. Not exactly. Yeah, I can see you're not a super social guy, but he said yeah. you were, you know. I, I go to the camera because the Wi-Fi connection is better. Okay, I see. And after the lady... Rocky seems a little surprised when she says that they've already talked to his landlord, asking about his behavior before and after the murders. Rocky says that he was never there to socialize anyway. He was there to get better Wi-Fi, and how would his landlord know? He's never there. Well, we've spoken to everyone you live with, Leah says. She thanks him for the correction on that. And this is where she attempts to give an example of that so-called empowerment that she's promised Rocky. If they've gathered information and there's something wrong about it, all he has to do is explain. But Rocky's hesitation has served him well. He's only chatty when the questions don't make him feel that heavy brick in the pit of his stomach. Nothing I say will change anything, he says. A lot of the time, you'll see an undeniable curiosity during interrogations. Suspects that can't help themselves, wanting to know what the police know, assuring themselves that they're ten steps ahead. Rocky doesn't want to face anything resembling the truth. He sighs and darts his eyes around the room while Leah pours more empathy out, talking about amends, saying that she's just there to gather information and she's not just going to toss him aside and tell the judge to throw away the key. She talks about understanding, feelings, forgiveness. But all of this falls on deaf ears. Maybe a part of Leah thinks that she's going to break through this thick exterior, that she'll find some slice of humanity underneath. But if Rocky has any, it won't be showing up in this room today. He laughs, and Leah calls him out on it. He says he isn't laughing because he's nervous. He's laughing because of the situation he's in. He's laughing because she keeps asking him questions, and he's already explained that he has nothing to say. Leah isn't done asking until she's gone over every single piece of evidence, though. He's going to have to face this, and she's going to draw it out, taking her time and shrinking his doubt down to size. It's not. So we've corrected it. I doubt anything I say will change the result. <laughs> well, it depends. You're right on some level. And I'm not going to lie to you. On some level, it's not going to change what happened in that house, Rocky. That's true. I'm not going to lie. That's true. That happened, and that is done. But what you say can change people's opinion of you. It can change the opinion you have of yourself. You know what I mean? A lot of amends can be made. Uh, A lot of understanding can go on. 
a lot of humanitarian feelings toward a person because something like this doesn't just materialize. It doesn't just happen suddenly. Something's happened to you that's caused this. I don't know what it is. I want to know what it is. I know you're not laughing because you don't think that because you think this is funny. I know it's because you're uncomfortable. No, it's not because I'm uncomfortable. It's because well, I really don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, that's normal. Don't worry about that. I'm not offended by no, that. No, I'm just in my position. Even well, what my position is, <laughs> saying anything would be wrong. That's where you're wrong. That's where you're dead wrong, because, I mean, you said it before, it's not going to change uh, what happened, I said it before, what happened in that house has happened, and what you say now isn't going to change that, but it is going to change the, the feelings about what happened in that house. People act out, and they do bad things, usually, well, every single time I've sat in this room with somebody, Rocky, and I'm... I'm telling you the God's honest truth. When I go back and I talk to that person, and, and it takes longer with some people, right? Some people are, are very upfront about their mistakes very quickly, and some people take a little longer. But the truth is, they all share. At the end of the day, they all share. And I always find out, sometimes it's a hundred things, or a thousand things that caused a night like this. And when I hear it, I always end up with a very sad heart because I know that if that person had had the right friendships or the right parents or the right connections or the right luck, they wouldn't be here. And so I feel sad and I feel like people should see something like this so that they know when they see their friends in distress or they see their family in distress, they should reach out and take care of that person because we don't want to have happen what happened to you. I always feel a sense of sadness and empathy. Leah moves on to the gloves. He has nothing to say about that. She asks, where are the originals? And he continues to laugh nervously. She asks about his laughing again, and Rocky lets out a long, nervous, hmm. The building blocks are falling into place, and he's watching it all come together in the worst way. He begins to bite his pinky nail at the corner of his mouth nervously. It doesn't look good. How about those? Have you ever seen those gloves? I have nothing to say about that. Where are those gloves now, Rocky? Gloves? Mm-hmm. What gloves? These, not these ones. These are some we bought after to, um, to compare to the gloves that we, um, the markings that we saw on the walls at the, at the house. So we bought these afterwards, too, because we know that these are the gloves that were used. So we know these aren't the gloves, but um, the gloves that were worn that night, where are they? Are they in your apartment? I, they haven't finished searching, so I don't know. You probably threw them in the garbage. I have nothing to say. Okay. So those gloves, I'm going to show you how I know that those are the ones, that's the brand that you used. Mm -hmm. I know that. Mm -hmm. So I just want you to keep in your mind, Rocky, that from the very beginning I told you 
is, you know, record this, right? Leah told me she wouldn't lie to me, so I'm not going to bluff. I'm not going to say I know this and I know that when I don't know it, okay? So I know these aren't the gloves, but this is the exact same kind of gloves that were used that night. I know you've seen those before. I know that for sure as well. And I'm going to show you how I know that. And again, the reason I'm doing this is not to torture you or make you guess or anything like that. I'm doing this, Rocky, to give you every opportunity in the world to come on board with me early, early in this investigation that I'm going to show you. Because I want you to look better than you look now. Why are you laughing? Mm, I don't look. I don't look bad. I don't look good. No, I mean you don't look good. I promise you, you don't. Yeah. It looks terrible. So there's absolutely no downside to taking a step towards something that doesn't make you look so bad. I don't know why this happened, Rocky. I really don't. But I'd sure like to know why. Leah is in a high-empathy, low-blame stage with Rocky right now. She isn't just trying to coax human elements out of him. She's also trying to appease whatever entitlement and victimhood he may be harboring. She wants him to feel like maybe something was done to him, like something happened to him. And if this is all some sort of misunderstanding, it can still be rectified. Let me tell you something about that guy. Leah flips to Richard's photograph. He isn't a very nice guy, that man that died. Did you ever meet him in the street? Rocky grabs his water bottle, says he doesn't want to talk about it, and takes a sip. When Leah explains that she heard he drank a lot and could be rude to people at times, Rocky almost affirms these things with a tiny little mm-hmm, and it sounds more like one of agreement, especially after Rocky choosing to stay silent so often until this point, or just laugh. I'm going to tell you something about that guy. That man. He, um, he isn't a very nice guy. Hmm? That man that died. He's not a very nice guy. Did you ever meet him? In the street? Or at the shopping mall or anything like that? I don't want to talk about it. Well, I just want you to know that I've heard from lots of people in the neighborhood. Because he walked a lot in the neighborhood. And he had a problem with alcohol. And he wasn't a very nice man. He was rude to people at times. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered if that played. Like if this guy was an asshole to you at some point for some reason. And it, it hurt your feelings. <laughs> I have nothing to say. What's so funny? Because I have nothing to say. Well, that's not funny. I don't know. I'm just... I'm, I'm trying to connect the dots. I'm trying to find a reason for this to happen because it either happened because of something that was going on with you separately or a thousand things, like I said, that's happened in the last years that has caused something with you or maybe it has to do with these people. Maybe that man was rude to you. Maybe he was a dick. Or maybe it was a combination of the two. I don't know. I do know that whatever it was that happened, or, or why it happened, it wasn't funny. Well, forgive me for, well, it's my, well, I'm going to stop it anyway. It's just a... It's a habit. Maybe, I don't know.
Mm-hmm. I think it's Who a knows? habit. Nervous smile. I've noticed that you laugh at inappropriate times sometimes, and it's maybe part of your personality or... Coping mechanism. Coping mechanism, yeah. I think so. This is a lot. It's a lot to cope with, so I can see how every coping mechanism you have must be... Oh, I'm nervous. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I want to alleviate that nervousness. You know, one thing that people in your shoes describe to me all the time, Rocky, is this crushing uh, feeling in their chest, this fear, and it's a physical feeling about being unable to breathe and feeling nervous to the point where you can feel it in your chest. And um, one thing that people have told me in the past is that once they get through this process and they make some good decisions and they come out the other side, that kind of eases up a bit. It relieves some of that anxiety and that nervousness. Leah encourages him to relieve that nervousness by sharing, saying that so many people who have been in his shoes felt the same way and also found relief in speaking about it. It's something you can look forward to, Leah tells him. Rocky furrows his brow with a slight smile, looking at the table and back to her over and over again. He doesn't understand her metaphors, her clever lines, her poetic wrap-ups to her monologues about empathy and good cops. When she says things like this, she loses him. And yet it's the only way to get Rocky somewhat re-engaged. It's easier to get someone to slip up and share when they're being conversational, rather than sitting in defensive silence. She keeps the evidence coming. They look at the bloody footprints that Rocky left behind. There's a definite pattern to those shoes, she points out. Rocky takes a closer look and says nothing. You ever seen shoes like that? But Rocky just sighs with frustration and stays silent. His annoyance starts to show when he asks Leah how long they're going to do this for, and he isn't happy when she says they haven't even gotten into a tenth of what she has to show him. She starts telling him about the entire investigation process so that he can grasp the full scope of things, how they were able to go back all the way to September 13th, but Rocky says nothing when he's asked if he knows what happened that day. And he notes that he realizes it's impolite for him to just sit there and not respond, but he refuses to tell her anything. And then Rocky pushes Leah a bit, warning her that he's going to lose his patience at some point. He doesn't know how long she can hold him for, and he trails off. I want you to get this through your head. We're holding you. It's no more Miss Nice Leah for a minute, as she meets his annoyance with full-on confrontation, and Rocky probably wasn't expecting that. She still wraps it up nicely with a hun, but Rocky is clearly unsettled. This isn't a game he can win. I know this is scary. What? Not that far. Well, I'm, I'm going to lose my patient. I'm, I'm kind of sure. It's just, well, I don't know how long can you hold me, but I don't know. I want to know something. I want to get this in your head. We're holding you. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. So and Wait till you see what's here, because I want to remind you. I was just talking about September 13th. Uh-huh. Do you know where you were on September 13th? How about I remember? <laughs> I can show you how to remember because I know where you were September 13th. You want to know where you were? I don't want to talk about it. You were at the Canadian Tire buying these gloves and buying this hatchet and buying this hat, son. I got you on video doing those things. So I don't want you to sit there thinking, this is nothing. I don't have to worry about this. You have to worry about this, Rocky. 
It's not a laughing matter. It's not a matter of being polite or impolite. That car, all those movements are on tape, honey. Now I'll show you that stuff. Sorry. That's okay. I know as I reveal these things to you, it's going to become scarier and scarier. No, because it's I just impolite too. Well, just what's impolite? Using my shoulder to respond to you, it's just... Pardon me? Using my shoulder to respond to you, that's not very good. Well, I mean, that's your own ethic, but you don't have to worry about offending me. No, I know. What offends me, Rocky, what offends me is that something like this happens and someone doesn't offer an explanation. Because I, I don't think you're a bad person. I think that something's happened to you which has caused you to act out. That's what I think. That's rude. Hmm? That's rude. What's rude? You're thinking. What, what's the truth then? Fix, fix it. Tell me what the facts are. I don't want to be rude to you either. You don't need to worry about that. I have nothing to say. You have lots to say. It's just whether you make the right decision and decide to say it or not. You know, it's, it's about decision-making, it's about power. It's about giving these people's family some idea about why this happened. Yes, exactly. Don't you think they're owed a little something? I really have nothing to say. Okay, Rocky, well, we're going to carry on. Um, what's covered up here? I can show you in another photograph. That's the receipt. What's underneath of here, Rocky, is a serial number. Leah shows him the receipt for his purchase that day, and she explains how they trace the Axe serial number to Canadian Tire. How come you bought those things? He furrows his brows and sighs in frustration as he stares down at the photo. You didn't use those things for another two weeks. Why did you buy those things? Rocky nervously starts to rub his neck, which could be a sign of him trying to soothe anxiety and protect himself from feeling vulnerable. He had been oh so clever to pay in cash that day, thinking he was ten steps ahead. Did you know it was going to be so bad when you went inside? Leah stares at him without breaking while Rocky struggles to hold the gaze right back. She says she's going to get the video, and Rocky lets out a sigh. If he's holding out because he doesn't think they have enough evidence, they'll show him that they do. Leah explains that she's trying to establish some level of trust with him. You said you don't really have any friends, and I don't know, it seems like you don't have a great level of trust with other humans. But he corrects her. Sadly, I do have friends, but they're online, and that level of trust isn't allowed in here. And speaking of video games, before Leah leaves the room, Rocky jokes with her that all he really wants right now is a fix. Not only is this most likely the longest conversation he's had with another person in real life in ages, but this is the longest Rocky has gone without playing video games in years. Well, what I'm going to do, Rocky, is I'm going to go and get the video so that you can rest your mind that I'm telling you the truth. Now, I've told you that I know you went shopping on the 13th of uh, September and that I have your image, your face, buying these things and I have the receipt to prove that. And I'm going to show you that video so that you can start trusting that what I'm saying is true. Okay? Do you believe what I'm telling you? 
You're gonna show me anyway. Yeah, I am, but I want to know how you feel about it. Do you believe me? Because, I mean, sometimes people don't talk about their mistakes because they think, ah, you know, I'm not really caught. That's what they think. They tell me this later. I didn't really think you had the evidence. So I thought it would hold out. What's your position? Waiting for you to get those video. Okay, let me get it. <laughs> You're going to get it anyway. <laughs> yeah, for sure I am. For sure I am. I just, I'm trying to... I'm trying to establish some level of trust with you, Rocky. Because I think that you've been defrauded by friends. No, he's not my friend. Well, you went to the strip club with him. No, just the strip club is nearby. Well, so that's sort of a friendly thing to do. No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It wasn't a friend, but you've been defrauded. You described that you don't have very many friends. Oh, I have friends, well, sadly, online. Oh, that's fine. I don't know. It just seems to me that you don't have a great level of trust with other humans. No, it's just the level of trust is not out here. Well, uh, yeah. I can, I, I'm trying to establish that, that while you may not trust me as a friend, I don't expect that. I do expect you to trust that what I'm saying is true. Okay? So I'm going to show you those videos, okay? Anything uh, else you need? No. No. Yeah, you seemed like you wanted to say something there. <laughs> no. Yeah. Nothing you can do. <laughs> what? Well, what I want, you can bring me. So, what do you uh, want? I want to go home. Can, can you bring me home? <laughs> Sorry, honey. That's not going to happen. Yeah, so... Rocky is left alone again in the room, this time for about 30 minutes. He sits back, removes his glasses, yawns, and rests his eyes. While Leah is no doubt going over her next move with her team, this tactic also helps Rocky sit in his boredom and discomfort. It gives him time to let the evidence he's just been shown really sink in, or at least that's what the police are hoping. What he really might be thinking is, why am I still here? But in Canada, he's not entitled to have a lawyer in the room while being interviewed by the police. If his circumstances change during the interview, he can request to speak to one again, but they have the right to hold him, interview him, and attempt to get answers out of him for hours. And so far, Leah's attempts to influence Rocky's emotional state or use leading questions hasn't roped him in. She peppers in the occasional confrontational tone, but overall remains curious behind the guise of a friendly demeanor. Leah believed that in life you tend to catch more flies with honey, and that was no different in the four walls of an interrogation room. More often than not, confessions are sparked from an outpouring of understanding or empathy, relating to the perpetrator or giving them an easier out, like suggesting that Richard had done something to Rocky. Rarely do confessions come from high-pressure intensity and rage. And Rocky tends to shut down very quickly. He's mentioned bad manners, and he's apologized here and there for being rude. But he seems to be generally soft-spoken and 100% cooperative. So for as much as someone may want an officer to go in there and shake Rocky by the shoulders and give him a good talking to, Leah is walking a tightrope as she figures out how to push his buttons in exactly the right way. And if he has any doubts at all in his mind that they know he killed Diana and Richard, they're about to be cast aside. Hey, how are you doing? She asks as she comes back in the room. Rocky says good, but she calls bullshit. I know you're not good, she tells him as she hands him a can of pop and a chocolate bar. He doesn't take the Coca-Cola, he just prefers water, but he takes the chocolate bar. 
He yawns and goes to look at his watch, forgetting that the police have already confiscated it. Leah pulls her chair next to him so that they can watch the video together. The footage shows Rocky on September 13th around 7.55pm entering Canadian Tire. He's unmistakable and clear, in black pants, black sneakers, a dark and light blue hoodie, and his glasses. He gives the customer service desk his backpack while he shops, as per their store shoplifting policy. He walks through the aisles of kitchen gadgets, making his way to the cuisine art section of knives. He pulls one off the rack, contemplates, puts it back, and walks over to the hunting and fishing gear. This is where he grabs the hatchet, the black ball cap, and a pair of gloves. He pays in cash, grabs his backpack, walks out with the goods in one hand and his backpack in the other. He sets everything on a patio furniture display while he organizes everything into the backpack and walks off into the night. In between bites of his chocolate bar, Rocky's eyes are glued to the screen. He never thought of the possibility that they'd trace him all the way back to this, even if he'd been unbelievably careless. Were you looking at the knives for some other reason? She asks while they watch, but Rocky just keeps nibbling quietly, looking down at his chocolate bar as he unwraps it. If you don't tell us why you bought that stuff, the police are always going to assume the worst. Rocky doesn't react. Leah then shows him another video, one of him getting onto a bus earlier in the evening on the night of the murders. He's wearing the same backpack that he was in the Canadian Tire video. Where's that backpack, Rocky? Leah doesn't mind that he isn't actually answering. These questions are more so to add intensity to the fact that the pile of evidence keeps growing and growing. They have Rocky on camera, driving around the neighborhood in Diana's Kia. They have him rummaging through the car. They have him tossing the keys. The interior light had flashed upon entering and locking the vehicle. It was clearly him. Rocky drops a few bits of chocolate on the ground and pays attention to that instead. He's looking for any excuse to keep avoiding this interaction. They don't just have him for murder. They have him for planning and intent. This is September 13th. Do you see that date there? About five minutes to eight. Do you see that? And this is, of course, Canadian Tire. Your store, local store there. Do you recognize it? I went there. Yeah. I like Canadian Tire too. Most people use Canadian Tire at some point in their lives. So, I noticed there you are. And, um, I also noticed your backpack that you had there. So, did you notice all that? So I want you to know, uh, Rocky, this is a key, key thing for us because once we had that hatchet and it had that serial number, this is an interesting bit of video here too because here you're looking at the knives, right? Were you looking at knives for some other reason, for cooking or something? Rocky? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. So, once we were able to find this purchase of these things, uh, for which we either find in the house or we uh, find near the scene or we find evidence of these things, it caused us to, to fixate on you. Now, let's look at the third 
Kenny the entire video. Hatchet, gloves, and hat. You know that hat, we found it underneath the table at the house where all this happened. Here comes the fourth Canadian Tire video. And you just set the two. So yeah, Canadian Tire was quite helpful to us because they, you know, once we had the serial number off that hatchet, they were able to direct us right to this video here in Rocky. And they gave us the transaction right here that was related to that um, to that purchase. Do you have anything you want to say about that? Do you want to tell us why you bought those things? I'll tell you something about policemen, Rocky. They're always going to assume the worst if you don't offer some explanation. You know what I mean? So, even you, as an intelligent person, well, you keep saying you're not, but you are, you know, you're not a dumb guy. I don't know. Policemen are always going to assume the worst, unless you offer some explanation. This is two weeks before the murder. So, something has to be going on here in, in Rocky Cam's mind, right? Something's going on with you. I'd sure like to know what it is. Okay. I want to be really clear with you too, Rocky, that we don't need you to say anything, you know. Like, this is it. You're going to be charged with two counts of murder. Okay? Here's the fifth video. This one's interesting because of this right here. Do you see that? Do you see what it is? Yeah, it's a backpack. It's your backpack right there you are coming to get it. Well, that backpack appears later in other videos. Right? So you can understand this part of the police investigation, Rocky, right? Where the police... Um, like I said, they go to the scene and they just carve out a big area of space and they just start looking everywhere for video and anything else that might be of interest, things that have been tossed away like car keys and things like that. And for video, uh, like when um, the, the, the car left the scene of the house and drove around the neighborhood and Right? Rummaging around in the car. All that's captured on video. Lock in the car and the headlights light up. All that's captured on video, Rocky. Don't worry about that, Rocky. I want you to focus here because it's important. It's way more important than a dirty carpet. Okay? Is there any reason why you'd be driving that woman's car? I've not to say. Well, I'd sure like an explanation for it, Rocky, because 
it's obvious what's happened and there's just no reason why and this is obviously something that you've thought about for a while and I don't know why it happened and I'm super interested in that Leah shares that she grew up in the country raising chickens and pigs and no matter how simple and procedural you thought the slaughter was going to be when it came time, it was always harder and bloodier and messier than you expected. Rocky keeps ignoring her, taking minuscule bites from his chocolate bar, trying to make it last as long as possible. Eventually, he crosses his legs, looks at her, and lets out a sigh. He has no use for her analogies. What she's trying to say to him is that what happened inside that house looked really, really bad. Leah wants Rocky to know that there's a huge difference between him going into that house intending for that to happen, or going into the house and things getting way worse than he wanted. What happened in the house isn't going to change no matter what he says, but there's still amends to be made. There's still things that could be done. He could help them understand how this happened, what the signs are, so that they can prevent other young men from doing the same thing. But Rocky couldn't care less. He has nothing to say. She lists all the evidence they have so far while Rocky gets back to crinkling his water bottle. Leah attempts another slight element of confrontation. Are you still on the fence about whether we have good evidence against you? Rocky knows he's going to see everything anyway, even if he doesn't want to. If he doesn't see it, he can continue to pretend that it doesn't exist. I mean, there's lots of analogies that can make sense here, right? I mean, there's all kinds of um, analogies that fit into all of our lives like this, right? Where we, where we intend for one thing to go on and it just... Maybe we keep saying the wrong things and it turns into, you know, someone's offended when really our intention was to apologize, you know, or in my case of trying to butcher an animal doesn't go smoothly and it turns into a big nightmare because it just didn't go the way we thought it would. The, the animal didn't cooperate. I, I, I mean, I don't know what happened there. I know you went there for a reason. I know you planned it for a really long time. You won't tell me why you bought those things, that hatchet and those gloves and that hat. You won't tell me why, so I'm going to assume the worst. I'd like an explanation for those things. So I've showed you the Canadian Tire video as well as the bus video, which is just really basically earlier in the day. I've told you about um, the vehicle, right? Coming out of the vehicle, walking up the street, throwing the keys in the garden, doubling back. I mean, that stuff's irrefutable. And you have nothing to say to that. So let's move on. Rocky. What do you want to see next? Tell me what you'd like to see. Tell me what would convince you. Like, are you still on the fence about whether um, you're, like, we have good evidence against you? Are you still wondering about that? Because that's often a barrier for people. You're going to show all of them to me, I am sure. I assume. Say again? You're going to show all of them to me anyway. Right. I'm going to what? Show all of them. I don't know. Yeah, sure. I will. No. But I mean, I don't have to if you don't want to see it. 
you know, I, I just, I want to give you every opportunity to take some power and control here. I don't have to if I don't want to see it. But I'm forced to stay here, so I really don't have a choice anyway. Yeah, you do have to stay here. Yeah. Um, but um, it's not about that. That's that's the stuff you already know exists. You already know that stuff. You you knew that long before I did, or any of these investigators did. You don't need me to show it. You know what's there. But what you what you don't seem to be believing me about Rocky is that you have a great deal of power here to take control of how this happens now. I'm going to tell you, you're going to be charged, and this is very serious, and we have a lot of evidence. Um, and that none of that's going to change. What happened in that house isn't going to change, hon. What's going to change, what could change for you, is if you be independent here and take control of the situation and and you control the pace at which it goes now and what happens now you know you haven't you pointed out to me earlier I was saying how independent of you you've come to Vancouver and you're looking for work and you said no I'm not independent my parents are paying my rent and I thought okay well that's that shows some honesty you know, about who you are and exactly how independent you are or are not. So you're not independent. And I, I'm going to suggest from some of the things that you've said to me here today that you're not smart, you know, you're not independent, you know, you've been saying things that are really negative about yourself. Why are I, they I could say something positive. <laughs> yeah, like what? Uh, well... One don't say, I don't say something positive, just too well. But here, I want to say something positive about you. I want to be able to say something positive about you, Rocky. And that would be that you face this like a man. That's and what you, you say. And you help me understand why this happened. I really want to know why this happened. I mean, I don't know if that man was ignorant to you or if this was entirely about getting some attention for yourself. I don't know. I don't know what... Uh, I don't know. I don't know why it happened. All I know is what happened. And I know you thought about it for a long time. I don't know if this is about video games affecting the way you think. So you don't believe that. Well, okay. But help me. I want to understand this. Because what I'm saying, Rocky, is you're the only one that can say why this happened and make this clear. Because what we have to do as a society together is make sure these things don't happen again. So if there is a breakdown in the parenting or in the society or in video game presentation or if you've been suffering from depression or some kind of mental illness for a long time, well then I'd like to hear about that. Because if you need some help, 
And if there are things that, that were triggers for you, that caused frustration to build, then maybe we can identify that in other young men. Because I don't know if you're watching the news. You told me earlier you don't watch the news. But there's a lot of frustration in this world. There are a lot of people doing things that are really bad, like what you did. And I, myself, as a police officer, I've always wanted to prevent that stuff. So I need help from people like you who've been through it. Nobody can crawl inside your head, Rocky. You've got to bring it. You've got to help me. Because I don't, I don't think you want this to happen again to some other young man. I don't think so. I know you don't. Because I, I think you've, you've found yourself now. You're, you're, in a, you're screwed. You're going to be charged with murder times too. That's it. I mean, I'm going to keep showing you evidence because there's a lot more and it's a lot heavier. But what I'm saying is that you have an opportunity here to be independent and be a man and to take responsibility like a man. And I don't think you've done that in your life ever. I don't think so. You know, your parents are still paying your rent, bro. Right? I mean, and I think that's what this is about. What is it about? I have nothing to say. So, Rocky, when I tell you that, that there's lots of young people going through what you went through, you know, we work with social groups and things like that, of people, young men like you, who are going through frustrating times, depression, frustration with their social, their place in society. They don't feel like they have anything. Uh just to clarify, I, I remember I said I work some moving job to pay my rent, right? Mm. Just not really using my parents' money to give me a life. So, well, I don't know. Maybe... Well, that that's, doesn't change your point of view anyway. No, no, I'm not telling you that's my point of view, Rocky. I'm telling you this is an idea. I'm wondering if this, and that's why I'm asking. Remember last time when I said, here, your attitude changed five weeks ago. Mr. Norton told us that. And you said, no, no, wait a minute. That was because of the Internet. The 5G, the no G. I believe you. Whatever you tell me, I believe you at face value. And I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to bring it back to the investigators. So I'm putting it to you. Is this the problem that you feel emasculated uh, or, or feel like you're not independent? I, you're telling me that's not the case. But I don't know what it is, Rocky. I'm just putting ideas out there so that you can help me understand this. Because I don't understand it. I'm afraid I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm sure you don't. I, you know what? When I screw up, I sure don't want to talk about it. Let me change it. I have nothing to say. And Rocky is about to find out just how deep this investigation went. Do you remember less than a week ago at the grocery store? There was a girl there, and she had a sore arm. And Leah describes their undercover cop with her arm in a sling. Rocky's resting his face in his hand, staring intently, biting his pinky nail. 
A bitter smile slowly creeps across his face, covered in anxiety. Once again, his trust has been betrayed. Can you blame them? Leah challenges. They're hunting a hunter. She explains that when he used his mouth to open the water bottle, it gave them epithelial cells, like fingerprints. They have him on video, they have the evidence, and now they have his match DNA. She offers to show him the report, and Rocky says that's not necessary, stretches and sighs. But he isn't calling the shots anymore. I don't think it is. And I, and I think that you don't, you don't know what that package looks like yet. But I'm going to show it to you. You know, um, let me ask you this. Do you remember not very long ago... Um, I think maybe just a few days ago, less than a week ago, you were at the grocery store. Remember being at the grocery store and there was a girl there. She had a sore arm. Remember that? She had her arm in a sling and she couldn't get her bottle open. You remember that? I can see from your face that you're lighting up. You can remember that very well. Well, you were a nice guy. Nice is not good here. Well, listen. Those investigators are hunting. Hunting a hunter. Right? Touche. Would you expect them to do less? Cast your mind back to that house, brother. Cast your mind back to what you left behind. Nice? I'm being nice. But that woman with the sore arm, that was a policewoman. What did you do? You did one of these. Remember that? Do you know why you did that for us? You know why we had you do that? What do you think? Nothing to say. You have something to say? Nothing to say. Okay. Well, the reason we had you do that for us, Rocky, was we were looking for your DNA. Do you understand DNA? Uh, deoxyribonucleic acid, do you know? <laughs> okay, you know, you understand what DNA is. D I'll, I'll tell you, DNA is like a fingerprint that each person in the world uh, has in their cells, in their skin cells, in the epithelial from their mouth, which is what we gathered from you. Uh, from the blood, from semen, hair follicles, these kinds of things, okay? And so when somebody has their DNA, there's nobody on the planet that has your same DNA, right? You, you are the only one. And so the reason that we wanted your DNA, I'll show it to you just so you can understand it more clearly, Rocky, because I feel this oozing mistrust of you. I just don't want you to not believe me when I see something. You understand the police are not allowed to lie to you, right? Did you know that? Mm, I don't know that. Yeah, it's true. We're not allowed to lie. Mm -hmm. So, just so you know. Um, okay, here. Let's look at this report. Rocky, I gotta book it out of here and get some glasses. Glasses, I can't oh, okay. see.
Anyway, I have a DNA report here, and I'm going to show you what it means, uh, why we would gather your DNA. Take your time. Pardon? Take your time. Okay, thanks. That's kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go anywhere. No, you can't. Your DNA is underneath that woman's fingernails. It's irrefutable at this point, but I just want to know why. What's your biggest fear, Rocky? He furrows his brow and looks away, confused. What are you most afraid of? She asks again. He takes a hand out of his hoodie pocket and rubs his neck, lets out a sigh and says that he doesn't want to talk about it. She asks what his family's going to think about this. He fidgets, rubs his neck, starts to slightly swivel back and forth in his chair, bites his bottom lip, adjusts the sleeves of his hoodie. The direct questions followed by Leah's silence and stare make him especially nervous with this topic. But eventually she starts talking again at a normal pace, and the moment that was held in suspension there is just sort of lost. For a second, it seemed like Rocky did in fact care about what his family would think when they realized the extent of his lies. Rocky has another ill-timed laugh for her, and Leah's annoyed. I just want to know why. But what's your biggest fear, Rocky? What are you most afraid of? Hmm. I don't want to talk about it. Do you feel bad? Are you scared what your parents are going to think? Do you care what they think? I don't know. I can't tell. What do you think they're going to say? What do you think your brother's going to say? Are you worried about that? I mean, some people don't care what their family thinks. I don't know your position. If you love them, you respect them, you think they're going to be disappointed or sad, or and some people don't care what they think. Some people do things like this to, to mess with their family. I don't know. I've heard every kind of reason for these kinds of things. And with you, I, whenever I suggest something, you kind of give me the, you know, the... Oh, just don't worry about that. Don't worry about what? I, I need to understand this. I don't think that's necessary. Well, it is for me. It is for you too, I think. I have nothing to say. Right. Please don't laugh at this. There's no, there's not I can control. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been diagnosed with any learning disabilities? What do you mean learning disabilities? I don't know, like <laughs> dyslexia or anything like that. I don't, I, I don't, don't see that in I you because. I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, okay. So that means that you haven't been. That you're good. Do you think that you have problems that are internal? Some people, when they're in this position, Rocky, they, they describe to me that they have felt like there was something going on inside of them for a long time that they couldn't control. I don't know if that's true for you. That it's entirely about them. It had nothing to do with these people. I don't know. She explains that they study victims because people are often murdered by someone they know. 
like a friend or a neighbor, because they learned that Richard wasn't a very nice man to that woman or other people, and maybe he'd been part of the issue. Maybe he offended you and something has been building internally for a while. If that's a factor, it can put you in a different light. Leah goes on about amends and forgiveness again, but Rocky doesn't care about what the Jones family thinks or feels. Rocky says he has nothing to say and asks if he can remain silent. Leah says if that's what he thinks is best for him, then it's his right. But she thinks what's best for him is to regret it. Tell me you wish you could go back six weeks and undo this, she pleads. When people understand what caused this to happen, they can move on. I mean, you don't seem like a scary guy to me. Are you a scary guy? That's not for me to decide, he sighs. You just don't seem like a scary guy to me, and if it's true, then I want to hear that once you went into that house, things just went grossly wrong. I mean, how did this happen? Rocky sighs and says he has nothing to say. She encourages him to give healing to the victim's families, to the community. She talks about karma and remorse. Not only is there no empathy in Rocky, but there's also no act either. He's not really interested in looking like a good person. She asks if he has anything he wants to say to his family, because they're going to be speaking to them soon. He says something about how they're going to speak to his family whether he likes it or not, because this kind of thing doesn't stay hidden. It's a big deal. Everyone is going to know. And everyone is going to know your reaction in this room tonight. And Rocky nods in agreement towards the camera filming the interrogation. He sighs in annoyance when she says that the decent and polite thing to do is to tell them what happened so they can help other young men like him. Rocky laughs and nervously breaks eye contact while they sit there for a moment in silence. How is this going to end? He sighs. It's never going to be over, Leah says. Rocky is talking about the interrogation, though. It's been six hours so far, and he expected to refuse to talk once and be sent on his way to jail. Leah tells him that this is bigger than him, and he owes a debt to this world. But Rocky is clearly willing to play hardball, and he can sit in silence for a long time. When Rocky's lawyer told him to shut his mouth, he heard it loud and clear. Leah tells him that this will be in the media tomorrow, so she brings up his family again, seeing if he has a message that he wants to give them. This is a tactic to see if Rocky is at least capable of showing some sort of remorse or apology towards anybody at all. Is this going to cause embarrassment for them? She asks. Sure, he says. Do you worry about that? I have nothing to say, he tells her. She inquires if maybe his parents won't be surprised. Maybe they saw this coming. Leah lays on a more empathetic and motherly tone with him again, encouraging him to talk because this isn't going to go away. Rocky asks about procedure again, and Leah starts talking about the interrogation procedure, but he says, no, what's the procedure? Like, are you going to send me to court? Again, he's just concerned about what happens when he gets out of this room. The motherly encouragement doesn't sway Rocky. If anything, he may just be judging how personal and emotional Leah is taking this because he certainly feels nothing. When she answers his big-picture questions as if they're about the interrogation, it just makes him more annoyed and feel like there's absolutely no understanding between the two of them. At one point, Rocky jokes, You can't do this all night, right? She almost comforts him and says, I'm here for you, whatever you need. But Rocky is challenging her. He's convinced that he can outbore her and outsilence her, and that's his goal. His frustration starts to really show when he gets snappy. Sit somewhere else, have a dinner, he tells her. Her phone buzzes, and he says, Husband? Children? Oh, of course. Information. Contacting my relatives. Leah says, You can't leave it inside you, and sits there in more silence with him. Rocky covers his eyes and shakes his head, looking down. He jokes if there's any way he can make this end. Then he tells her that her just sitting there staring at him is kind of boring. I have nothing to say. Just answer 
You're sorry for what? Just answer for. I have nothing to say. Is there anything you want to say to your mom? What? Is there anything you want to say to your mom? Nothing specifically. No. You, you already told that, right? They're going to, yeah. Yeah. Do you love your mom? Yeah. Well, just so you know, this is um, this is going to be in the media tomorrow. I don't understand media. What? Oh, media. Oh. The media. Oh. So they're gonna hear all that. Okay. Is there a message you want to get to them? Nothing to say. Is this going to cause some embarrassment for your family? Sure it is. Are you worried about that? I have nothing to say. Do you think your parents predicted this? Because I think when kids have troubles socially or however, the parents sometimes, they know there's something wrong. Did your parents notice there was something wrong when you were young? Hun, I don't know what you think that you're guarding. I don't know what it is. I know you think, I don't know if you, I think you think if you're mute that this isn't going to go forward or that this doesn't exist. But that's just not true. It is. Period. What's the procedure? Well, procedure is easy, you know. We talk. We figure out what happened. We figure out why it happened. And then we can study that and learn from it and, and help other people. No, I mean, what's the procedure? You're going to submit to the court? Like, like when or and they will go, this, this thing will go to the media? Or what? I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be... I just want to know the, the I want to make sure that everybody sees the whole picture, Rocky, not just this. Can you understand my position? Like, I want to be a humanitarian to you. I want to give you the power to not just have people look at this. That's not fair. There's something else going on, and I'm sure of it. There's something else inside of you. I want to say kid, but you know what I mean? You're so young, Rocky. I have a son your age. I have a son 10 years older than you, too. You know, like, what is happening to you? Help me. I don't want this to happen to my son. Why do you think this happened? I really, I really want you to know something that I, I perceive you as a victim in this, too. There's three lives lost that day. And you know you don't believe me. You're looking at me like, all oh, right, lady, whatever. I know that's what you're thinking. No. Well, what are you thinking? Share with me. Like, I am being absolutely honest with you. Yeah. That's not important here. What is important to you? I don't want to talk about it. Tell me what's important to you. It doesn't have to be about this. Tell me what's important to you.
You can't do it all night, right? I'm here for you, whatever you need. Honey, you can't keep this bottled up. It's not good for you. Is it all the evidence you have? Or uh, um, is all, or uh, mostly the highlight already? That's the highlights, yeah. Okay. The DNA under the fingernails is the... Don't need much more than that, right? Take some rest. Have a dinner. Oh, I'm gonna sit with you. I think you need company. Mm, no, no thanks. <laughs> Husband? Children? Oh, colleagues. Oh, information. Contacting my relatives. Can't leave it inside you. Anyway, I could make this end. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not. It's it's not going away. It's not going to end. Anytime. I mean, this is going to be your life for a little while. But I'll tell you, there's no. one way to make the uh, anxiety lessen and the guilt lessen. The feelings about it lessen. That you can do a lot to make yourself feel better. Well, I didn't ask about that. I just <laughs> used their meetings. Kind of well, boring. <laughs> well, I guess if I hadn't heard that before, I would be offended. But yeah, heard that a lot, <laughs> and you're still doing it. Okay. Well, you know, anyway. Rocky. It's just. These things are, this is very important to me. This is what I do. And, and those guys are doing all the gathering of this evidence. They're the ones that are hunting to capture the person responsible. And they've done that. They've done their part. And now I'm here more on the social side of things. Okay. There's been a, Something terrible in the universe has happened, right? I mean, some kind of stars didn't line up, right? I mean, you have to admit that something has gone terribly wrong. Of course it is. Someone is being murdered. Why? I have nothing to say. When Rocky again states that he has nothing to say, Leah mentions the orange knife that he left in the front yard pathway, the hat, the hatchet, all the DNA. I feel like the scene was so obvious that you were trying to cry out for attention, saying, I want the world to notice me. Rocky laughs at the very idea. Are there really people who kill for attention? Of course, Leah tells him. She mentions some recent mass shootings and murders that were done simply for notoriety. Rocky sighs and says he has nothing to say. Even after her explanation, Rocky seems so confused and doubtful of this very notion. Leah tries to ask him why then, saying there are good reasons to kill people. War robbery, revenge. Leah lists off reasons why murder may not be lawful, but certainly has a reason. She's doing her best to try to show Rocky that motive matters, but instead Rocky just lets out a fake yawn and says, this is getting tired. Leah mirrors back to him in a more intense way. Do you not realize what you're saying, sitting there in silence? 
Some people do this kind of thing to draw attention because they feel neglected by their parents, they feel neglected by their family, they don't have any friends, they're lonely, and they want some attention. I don't know. Go out then. <laughs> Go out, meet people. <laughs> Why kill people? <laughs> I don't know, you tell me. What is a good reason? It's getting tired. What is a good reason, Rocky? Because there are good reasons to kill people. Is there? Yeah, there is. I mean, it doesn't make them lawful, but there are good reasons to kill people, right? There's war, and there's revenge, and somebody's sleeping with your wife, and somebody insults somebody else uh, on a very serious level. I don't know. Some robbery sometimes is, is why people do it. I mean, the, those aren't lawful reasons, but they, they are reasons. What is the reason? Come on. Well, you come on. What's the reason for this? I, I have nothing to say. How come? How can you look at that and say, Ah, I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry about me. I know you got my DNA under her fingernails, but fuck her. Who gives a shit about her? Who gives a shit about this guy? I'm good. Like, how is that? Like, how are you doing that? How are you sitting there saying, no thanks? Because that's what it feels like, Rocky. It feels like you're saying, yeah, no, I'm fine. Are you fine? If my attitude makes you feel bad, I apologize. Well, it's not about your attitude making me, uh... Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if your family is going to be able to shed some light on this, Rocky. I, I would sure like for you to shed some light on it. I'm afraid you can't get anything. Well, that's up to you. I mean, it, it is entirely up to you. Do you visit with your grandmother much? What? Do you visit with your grandmother much? Grandmother? Uh, not often. No. Not very much. Toronto? Is that where? Toronto. She brings up his grandmother, who lives in Toronto, asking how close they are. She wants Rocky to think about all the different people involved, all the people who will hear and wonder and judge him. But Rocky doesn't care. He wasn't thinking about them during the murder, and he certainly isn't interested in thinking about them now. His main concern is when he will get out of this room, and possibly out of jail, so he can go home and play video games. During her silent stares, he laughs nervously, rubs his neck occasionally, looks down and around the room. It definitely makes him uncomfortable, and he even tells her that he's tired, but it doesn't seem to bring him anywhere close to breaking. Leah's phone buzzes. It's her team letting her know that they've spoken with Rocky's brother so she's going to see what he's told them. But before she leaves, she asks Rocky to promise that he'll think about these things. She walks out of the room. Rocky puts his head down on the desk and stays there for 11 minutes. After that, he takes a sip of water, clears his throat, and looks around the room. 
It's then that he notices the camera for the first time. He can't stop looking at it, and eventually he lets out a little laugh beneath the smirk. The male officer comes back and asks Rocky if he wants to go grab some fresh air. This isn't a choice, though. Leah returns to the office with a big roll of clear tape in hand, the pile of evidence photos, and a new tactic. She spends the next 20 minutes taping the photos to the walls of the interrogation room. It's been too easy for Rocky to avoid the brutality of this. He's been ignoring the enormity of the evidence against him. She wants him to see what's happening because the lack of reaction in him is starting to disturb Leah. Once she's done taping them up, she sits there quietly, staring at the photos, occasionally looking at the empty chair across from her and strategizing her next move. Rocky lets out an annoyed sigh when he sees what Leah's done with the place. He isn't pleased. He's been hoping that they were nearing the end of the interview, but if this interrogation was a mountain, the real climbing was about to start now. Leah is going to go in chronological order for Rocky, making it crystal clear how badly he messed up and how they were able to track him down because of that, piece by piece. From the knife, to the hatchet, to the DNA and car footage, their neighborhood search. It wasn't just one thing, and Leah wanted Rocky to understand that there was no getting away with this. Whatever direction he decided to run, he would be confronted with evidence. At one point, he tries to make it seem as if this process is exhausting him. And sure, it is into the seventh hour of the interrogation, but it's 7.30 p.m. He's been fed, given multiple bottles of water, bathroom breaks, and just came from getting fresh air. He's not tired. He's desperate for a way out. If boredom won't work, maybe frustration will. But he's not getting out of this room just yet. How was your break? Did you have a chance to think? Did you have a chance to think? Yeah. I was thinking, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight, am I? I didn't say that. <sighs> by the way, Rocky, it's 7.30. Mm -hmm. It's 7.30 in the evening. I don't mind, like... Come on. You're 25 years old at 7.30 at night. I think you're okay. No, I'm not saying I want to sleep now. I'm just getting the feelings. Hmm? I'm just getting the feelings. It's a lot. And you know what compounds the problem, Rocky, is if you look at that photograph there beside your shoulder there, that's Mr. Jones earlier that evening. You see him, he's all hunched over there, he's got a walker. He's quite disabled. That's another layer to this that really needs an explanation from you. You know what I mean? Leah brings up the fact that they were able to speak to his brother, explaining that they're trying to learn more about him. He says he loves you, she tells him. Rocky quickly says, okay, and looks away. Leah asks if he loves him back, and Rocky frowns in confusion. Of course I do. She attempts to use the upcoming shame and pain of his family as a means to get his side of the story, so that she can explain to them what happened. Are you worried about all of that? He says, of course I am, and sighs. But you're going to show it all anyway. Leah explains that isn't her doing. It's his doing. If she could go back and save him from this, she sure would. What's your family going to think? Rocky says, just because you're family, you don't always know what people will think. Especially, Rocky points to the photographs of evidence on the wall, shakes his head and lifts his eyebrows as he looks down. I don't even know. 
This is the first and only time that he's indicated some awareness about the immensity of what's happening here. Leah uses his uncertainty about his family's reaction as a way to also encourage him to talk about what he did, even if he doesn't know why. But Rocky just sighs and tells her that he has nothing to say. She explains that they're not even done gathering evidence yet. What she's showing him are the main highlights, but there's still tons of his DNA everywhere. This seems to make Rocky visibly nervous. He says he only has one scar, but Leah can see a few on his arms. They look like fresh scratches. Where were you bleeding when you left? Rocky gets defensive, puts on a fake chuckle, and says he has nothing to say. He looks down at the scratches and then looks away. People want to know why you did this. And maybe you don't know completely why. But there was some trigger, there was something that happened. And I don't know if you were had been experiencing some problems for some time in your own head. I don't know. Help me with that. Help me to understand it, Rocky. I really have nothing to say. How can that be, Rocky? How can that be? You don't trust that, so well, I assume. Uh, How I don't trust what? I have nothing to say. I don't buy it. Yeah. You have lots to say. You you look like you are full of things to say. Your face is twisted, and you are anxious, mm. and you feel sick. I can see it in your face. Many people feel sick in police station. And while they are being charged, never. Yeah, it's big. I don't know what your plan is. What is your plan? I mean, the police side of it is kind of done. I mean, they're they're going to continue to um, investigate. For instance, there were quite a few pools of blood outside uh, as the suspect left. Um, I don't know if that's just from dripping from the victim's blood or if that's your blood. I don't know what that is, but they're continuing to investigate that to find out what blood that is. I saw you look at your wrist just now. Is that where it was injured? No, I was just thinking the police earlier asked me about something about scars. Mm -hmm. No, this is my only scar. What is? I don't even it's see a scar. Yeah, it's because it's very long time ago. Okay. It's like I was, what? I see a scar here and here. Is it a scar? Yeah, I think so. Don't you think it is? Looks like a fingernail scratch to me. Where were you bleeding? Hmm? Where were you bleeding? 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 Blood? You were bleeding when you left that place. What? Well, you were scratched. I know that because uh, Miss Ma Jones had your DNA. <laughs> There's nothing I would say. <sighs> Rocky, you know you can't. You can You can't put your head in the sand. I don't want this to be the way this ends. You know, I. I really. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine what your grandmother is going to think of this.
Don't you want to relieve some pain for her? This is a big machine and it's going to keep on going. We're going to keep gathering evidence and it's not going to get easier or better. What can get easier and better is how your family feels about it, how helping to them for them to heal, helping them to understand you, having them know that while you did screw up, you did the right thing. I'm not kidding, Rocky. It's a big deal to come forward after something awful. It's hard. What I'm asking you to do takes a lot of bravery. And I know that. And that's why I'm being very patient and I'll sit with you as long as you need me to. But it takes a lot of bravery to, to come forward and, and, and regret and be remorseful for what you did. Rocky makes an ill-timed comment, almost jokingly, about how Leah will eventually have to lose her patience or get tired of this. Once again, some slight confrontation peaks from Leah, who obviously doesn't want Rocky to have the mentality that he just has to wear her out and this will be over. She brings up Diana being called a hero of medicine, and the fact that Richard was so helpless, how none of this was a fair fight. A man as able-bodied as Rocky should be ashamed to have gone after someone with such an unfair advantage. Rocky motions to his stomach when she says this, as if to pinch fat on his belly. Leah calls him out some more. She attempts to again give Rocky an out when it comes to a possible dynamic that instigated his plot. She says that they have evidence to support the fact that he wasn't expecting her home, and if he was caught off guard and killed Diana without having planned on it, if it was a mistake, Leah wants to know. Rocky keeps staring off, frustrated and sighing, looking at her as if to say, why do you keep asking me things I can't answer? He tells her that she's insulting. Leah balances between confrontation and long periods of silence that make Rocky clearly uncomfortable, but not enough to speak. What was that? Are you implying you're out of shape? Like, so it's a fair fight? Is that what that was? Oh, look at me, I'm fat, I'm out of shape. So it's a fair fight for this old man? I don't think so, man. If that's, is that really what you're bringing to the table? I'm, on, I'm an out of shape gamer, so it's a fair fight. No. It's disgraceful. Yeah, this guy's a real asshole. Do you know who this woman was? She worked at the, um, woman. the woman you killed. Do you know who she was? She worked at GF Strong. And she helped people like this lady here recover. She was an occupational therapist. While not very many people had many good things to say about him, this lady who was a... They called her, um, I think she was a hero of medicine. She won multiple awards for the help that she'd given people. Did you know that? Rocky, did you know who she was? Why did you do that to her? 
People want to know if something happened between you and him and she walked in on it, because I know that's how it happened. I know she came home with the groceries and pow, I think she was unexpected to you. I don't think you meant to hurt her. But I'm only guessing. Mm -hmm. I want to hear it from you. Was she unintended? Didn't, did you not expect her to come home? That makes a big difference, you know. Well, that guy is old. He was a jerk. I could see you having a conflict with that man. And I'd understand that. But if this was unintentional, that's important. That's an important part of the story. That's important, Rocky, and you know it. It's one thing for two men to go to battle, but this tiny lady, how do you explain that? I don't think that you thought she was going to be there. I think that was a mistake. Am I right? I have nothing to say. Come on, Rocky. Look at this woman. You are insulting me. I'm what? Say that again. I have nothing to say. What did you say earlier? I have nothing to Something say. about insulting you? Is that what you said? I'm insulting you? By implying that I want an explanation for why you killed this tiny lady? Elderly lady? You're 25 years old, Rocky. Why did you do that? I just don't understand a motive. They're not rich people. They don't have a lot of stuff. Maybe there's something wrong with you and you're confused by it yourself. I'd sure like to understand it and be able to explain it to people, Leah urges. She tries asking him where the backpack and sweatshirt are that he was wearing that night. He sighs, takes off his glasses, and enjoys the advantage of not having to make crystal clear eye contact with Leah. It's 20 minutes of her calmly asking, waiting in silence, and Rocky sighing while he looks around the room in avoidance. At this point, Leah starts playing word games with his responses, and he sighs, putting his head in his hands and shakes his head. He awkwardly smiles, but for a second, it's almost as if he had to contemplate whether he was going to lose his cool or not. Leah continues to ask where the backpack is, and Rocky says nothing. If you don't understand it yourself, that's okay, you know. I've said that to you before, but I mean, I don't know how you're looking at that and just, you're, not, you're shrugging it off. How are you doing that? You feel anything? You feel any regret about that? You don't? Nothing to say. Ha 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 ha. Sorry. That is a bad habit, my friend. Yeah. You look at this. This is a bad habit. Yeah. I have nothing to say. Why not? 
There is absolutely no downside what do whatsoever. Hmm? What do you want to know? I want to know what, why you went in there. There's nothing I can't say. Yes, there's tons you can say. Tell me how you feel about it today. About what? About this. You asked me what I want to know, and I'm asking you, I want to know how you feel about it today. How do you feel about it today? You asked me what I want to know, that's what I want to know. I understand. I know that you feel that way. And I appreciate you sharing that, that, that you feel this is so overwhelming that there's nothing you can say to make it up. I, I totally, totally... No, just, just nothing I could say. I know, there's nothing you can say to make this up, Rocky. Come on. I want you to look at that hoodie, that backpack. Where is that today? I know you had that with you that night. We're able to see it on the video of you walking away back through the houses and whatnot. We see that backpack. I know you had it that night. Where is it now? Why would you get rid of that? Doesn't seem like it's anything you'd get rid of. Rocky, when you say there's nothing that you can say about this, I know that, that it looks overwhelming and it feels overwhelming. And, and it is in terms of evidence and proving that you did this thing. You're very right about that. But I want you to talk to me about what happened. There's absolutely no reason not to try to garner some understanding and some empathy from people. This opportunity is going to come and go. You know that? You are not going to have another opportunity to, to apologize. You know, the sky isn't going to fall if you tell me what happened, Leah reassures him. Whatever Rocky's lawyer told him over the phone before he got into the room is still blaring loud and clear in his mind. Whenever Leah keeps going on and on about how much better he's going to feel to get this off his chest, all he can do is bite his lip and repeat the advice. When she backs off, it's easy for him to fade out into boredom. When she pushes up the intensity, he tends to shut down in discomfort. Leah can't win. A knock at the door disturbs them. Rocky lets out a sigh of relief and puts his glasses back on. He's waiting for someone to open that door and tell Leah that it's quitting time, but instead she just gathers her things and lets him know that she'll be back in a bit. He takes his glasses off again, puts his head down on the desk, and sits alone for ten minutes. When Leah returns, she's got a laptop ready to play a message from his brother. It's from an interview earlier when he spoke to the police. If you know anything, tell the police. You can hear his voice plead out. Rocky sighs. He really has nothing to say. And for someone who claims to be as stupid as often as he has during this interrogation, he's been intelligent enough to notice when the police have attempted to control his emotions. Unfortunately for them and everyone else, Rocky only cares about Rocky. Leah starts pulling the photos off of the wall one by one, explaining them and asking about each detail, 
to which, of course, he answers that he has nothing to say. She goes over the hatchet and receipt from his purchase. Do you have any explanation for this? Rocky isn't responding at all. The second to last and last photograph are taped closest to him on the wall. He grabs one and hands it to her. She says thank you politely. He goes to immediately take the other one down and she says hold on, very abruptly, in a loud tone. Rocky was hoping to rush the process. It's now past the ninth hour of interrogation and he's starting to push the boundaries here. She waits for any response from him. Cold as ice, eh? Leah says. Rocky sighs with his head in his hands, takes his glasses off. Yeah, he has nothing to say. Your backpack was even left here. We even have images of that clear as a bell. That backpack is seen later in the neighborhood, walking away from that car. Do you have an explanation for that? If you have one, it'd be nice to hear it now. It doesn't really make sense if you have a, an explanation that could explain that, you know, this has nothing to do with you. Now would be the time, wouldn't it? No? This hatchet here, <clears throat> it's the exact same make and model that you uh, bought on September the 13th, sitting outside of the residence, blood all over it. Do you have any explanation for that, Rocky? No? This is your receipt. You didn't take the copy at the time, but this is your receipt from September 13th that shows the items that you bought, being the hatchet, gloves, and hat. Thank you. Hold on. This is the car that belongs to Mrs. Ma Jones. This is the car that was driven around the neighborhood and rifled through and then the headlights came on. Just lit everything up beautifully for our video camera. Do you have any explanation for why your image might be on that video? Cold as ice, eh? Oh. I just don't want to repeat. <sighs> This is an image of Mr. Jones earlier in the day before he died. Hunched over. Walker. Do you have an explanation why you killed this old man? There's nothing to say. This is uh, the report from the autopsy where they took the fingernails off Mrs. Ma Jones. Is there any reasonable explanation for why Mrs. Ma Jones would have your DNA under her fingernails? She again asks if there's any reasonable explanation why Diana would have his DNA under her fingernails. Were they lovers? Rocky looks astounded at the question that he'd be sexually or romantically involved with such an older woman. It sounds like he jokingly asks Leah how she is, and she says she's fine. But he says, no, how old are you? And she says 50. 
He's trying to point out the absurdity of this idea, but instead he backs down from another push of the boundaries and asks how long she's been a cop. She's been on the force for 27 years. She tries telling him that she's seen the benefits that can come from someone showing regret and remorse. But Rocky doesn't understand the point of either, if it's not going to get him released. If it doesn't serve him in some way, what's it matter? This isn't about being released, Leah tells him. After eight plus hours, she still can't believe she's having to get this through his head. But Leah is working on empathy, logic, and basic human nature with her reasoning. Rocky lost the game. As far as he's concerned, it's over. There's no desire for redemption. There's no need for amends. And if there's any possible way that he might weasel out of this, he's convinced that the only way to do that is by denying his involvement, even in the face of blatant evidence that he can't argue away. Is there any reasonable explanation for why Mrs. Ma Jones would have your DNA under her fingernails? Is there any reason why that would happen? Are you lovers? Thought not. How are you? Hmm? May I ask, how are you? How am I? Yeah. Perfect. What does that mean, how are you? How are you? Just asking your age. Sorry. How old am I? Yeah. I'm 50. Oh. Why do you oh. want to know? Sorry. How long have you been in the police department? 27 years. That's long. It is long, isn't it? I'm going to tell you how long it is, Rocky. It's been a very long time when somebody is faced with something like this that someone opts to sit coldly and offer no apology, no remorse, no... If I say, <laughs> what, you're going to release me? No. It isn't about that. Don't you understand that after all this conversation, you're not being released. No matter what. I know. You've killed two people, man. You're not going anywhere. This isn't about being released. This is about helping other people. But you don't care about that. That's all I've been talking about all night is you helping other people. You've done enough to hurt other people, that's for sure. But you're just sitting there coldly. Eh, I don't have anything to say. I don't really give a shit. You're not me. No, I certainly am not. Because you know the difference? I have empathy for other people, and I care no, about other No, you're people. not being charged for murder. I didn't kill anybody, either. That's the difference, man. How you sit there coldly, I don't understand it, because it doesn't seem to be the person that your brother describes. I'm telling you, Rocky, I've been in this room tons of times with tons of people, and with people who've done worse things than you. And when they see the writing on the wall, and they know... The jig is up, I'm caught, I'm done. There's DNA, there's video, there's every kind of evidence that there is. They finally do the right thing. They always do the right thing. Almost without exception. You, sir, are an exception. In the face of all of this, you're choosing to stay back. 
not help anybody. And you sit there and you pretend I don't understand something, but you won't tell me what it is I don't understand. So that's kind of passive-aggressive or something. I don't really understand what you're doing. Playing games is what I think. You're just playing games, Rocky? Is that what it is? Like this whole thing seems like a big game to you. You're laughing all the way through the, the interview here in the face of incredible amounts of gore and harm that you've caused. And you don't even seem to take it seriously. You're just giggling away there. Because that's not love. Oh, I, don't, I don't know what it is. You're sure not explaining it. We're just left with what we see. And it's not an empathetic person. Yeah. It's not normal for you to be so cold. I don't get it. I want you to tell me the truth, Rocky. That's all. It's easy. It's simple. It makes sense. Just tell me the truth, Leah urges. They sit there in silence while Rocky lets out a few frustrated sighs. It's such a simple thing to give people, and you won't even give them that. I don't understand it, Leah says in disgust as she starts to pack up her things. After a few minutes, she asks him again, asks him what he wants to say, begs him to express remorse. She slides her chair over beside him, puts her hand on his arm, and looks him right in the eye. I can see you're emotional. Why can't you express remorse and say you're sorry? Rocky replies, sorry for what? And with that, Leah Terpsma has had enough. You're an animal. She grabs her things and walks out of the room. She's too pissed off to feel the full extent of her defeat. Rocky has been able to dodge tactics, minimize pressure, and in some instances, it had almost been Rocky who dictated the emotional level of the room. If he backed down, she backed off. After she leaves, Rocky talks aloud to himself for the first and only time ever, knowing full well that he's being recorded. In Cantonese, he says, I didn't kill anyone. How can I be sorry? I can only be sorry if I killed someone. Tell me what you want to say. I can see that you're feeling something. This is your chance, Rocky. If you want to say something, I would suggest that you say it. What is it? What do you want to say about this, Rocky? I don't want you to walk out of here today saying, Frick, I blew my chance to explain anything or apologize for anything or express some remorse, Rocky. What do you want to say about this, Rocky? What do you want to say? You know, Rocky, I can sit there and I can feel that you are feeling something. I can see that you're emotional. Why aren't you taking this chance to at least express remorse? Maybe today you're not ready to talk about the whole ugly story, but at least say you're sorry. For what? You're an animal.
Tô vivendo, tio. Officers come in to remove his clothing and start the process of his transfer, explaining that they'll photograph him in a room with audio only. Rocky asks if he has the right to reject this. Leah says no. We're gathering evidence, and you're under arrest for murder times two. Rocky's only right is still to remain silent, one that he's practiced quite well. While he waits in a room dressed in a full white body jumpsuit, he asks if he can have dinner, but Rocky missed mealtime at the jail. Chances are, if he's lucky, he'll score a sandwich, and the rude awakening that he's not in Kansas anymore. Both sides would have plenty of time to prepare their case, as well as Rocky undergoing psychological evaluation. In February 2020, the question put before the B.C. Supreme Court wasn't whether Rocky was guilty of murder, but rather whether the murders were planned and deliberate. Strangely, by the time his trial came around, Rocky admitted to killing Diana and Richard, but would still plead not guilty. Defense attorney Faisal Alamai would explain to Supreme Court Justice Laura Giroux that Rocky had suffered from some sort of mental disorder during the time of the brutal killings. In relation to his 15-hour-a-day gaming habit, the lines between reality and fiction blurred for Rocky, causing the attack to be random, if anything. Rocky had never stopped gaming to make a plan for murder. If he wasn't playing video games, then he was reading comics or sleeping. His mind was full of violent imagery and concepts, encouraging its characters to kill in order to level up. The defense would even bring up a demonstration of Skyrim on the screen a favored action role-playing game that Rocky would insist had inspired his murderous combat. Letting out a bit of a giggle, he watched his defense attorney's poor attempts to demonstrate his character's ability to kill. Rocky had just moved to Vancouver three months before he committed the murders. While barely leaving his house, sat in front of his computer screen for hours, how could he possibly have built up the intent to kill Diana and Richard Jones? There's no evidence as to why Rocky would do that, let alone when he did. It was a random attack with no intent or preparation, the defense told the court. Clinical psychologist Dr. Edward Shen, who interviewed Rocky two years after the murders, said that Rocky eventually remembered what he did, but not why. Dr. Shen told the court that Rocky had slipped out of reality and into what he called a gaming consciousness. Rocky may have thought that his actions would amount to consequences related to the game, not real life. The intense isolation had loosened the boundaries of his consciousness, and like the game, he was simply a spectator. Shen held up his watch from the witness stand. People whose consciousness is geared towards money might ask how much this watch cost. Others might ask where I bought it. Others might ask how long I've had it. Without an exact trigger, in the same way, Rocky slips in and out of real life and into gaming consciousness because of its focus. He has no true awareness of what he's doing. How much credibility the court decides to give this theory would be significant, as it would make Rocky guilty of manslaughter instead of murder. But Crown Prosecutor Daniel Mulligan argued that this theory not only implies that Rocky is a credible enough witness to explain in full honesty what happened, but that gaming consciousness is a recognized condition, which it isn't. Mulligan asked Shen a series of questions, pointing out his lack of training in forensic psychology, which is key in criminal matters. Rocky is a demonstrated liar, who conveniently was also the first and only person Dr. Shen has ever met with this so-called gaming consciousness. Well, I have a lot of friends and know people who enjoy playing games and spend a lot of time with them, Shen testified. But if Rocky is the only person he's met with this condition, and the only source of information about it, 
then how could he fully assess with accuracy whether Rocky was exaggerating or pretending? Mulligan reminded the court of his repeated lies, explaining that Rocky isn't unable to reveal his motive. He's just unwilling. And if Rocky was slipping in and out of reality, wouldn't those closest to him have noticed? His roommate Darby Norton would testify that Rocky had been looking for a job, living off of his savings, and spent most of his time in his room playing video games. Rocky told him that he'd made a name for himself in Hong Kong by being such a good gamer. He didn't do drugs or drink, at least from what Darby observed, and would occasionally bring his laptop into the main area and chat with the other roommates. Once Darby's girlfriend moved into the house in August, he didn't see much of Rocky, having his own change in schedule. Rocky himself never had any visitors come over. No social life, it seemed. During cross-examination, when pressed, Darby would admit that Rocky had started getting up later after the murders and did seem to appear kind of depressed. I have nothing to say, Rocky Rambo, would surprise everyone when he took the stand in his own defense, even explaining in detail what had happened that night. In Rocky's version of events, he's not sure why he packed those items before leaving his house. He happened to see Diana taking the groceries out of her car and attacked her, forcing his way into the home. He covered her mouth to keep her from screaming, and when that didn't work, he used his other hand to choke her. After she stopped breathing, he stabbed her with a knife. Or maybe he stabbed her before, he isn't sure. It was then he heard Richard walk into the kitchen, and Rocky says he kept stabbing him over and over, thinking, why won't he die? He kept trying to stand up, and Rocky pushed him to the floor. Or maybe he stabbed him again. He can't remember. He goes to the living room where he left the hatchet, comes back, and chops his neck. He didn't know either of them and had no idea why he committed the murders. During cross-examination, Rocky wouldn't stand a chance. Mulligan brought up online searches that Rocky had looked up months before the murders, including things like tasers, stun guns, ways to knock people out, and crime scene cleanup. These searches were because you had an interest in killing people, and you wanted to come up with a plan on how to do it, the prosecution challenged Rocky. But Rocky argued that things like tasers and stun guns don't kill people. The prosecution rephrased his question, implying that Rocky was looking at ways to disable people, possibly to kill them slowly or inflict the most amount of pain. But Rocky disagreed, saying that wasn't the case. He was shocked when he saw the footage of him purchasing the items because he hadn't believed he committed the murders. If he had, he would expect to feel something or have his life changed. I never feel any feelings about it, Rocky said. I don't lose sleep at night. I don't feel guilt or any happiness or any sadness over it. Instead of that being proof that he's a hollow monster who feels nothing, Rocky says that's proof that his behavior isn't consistent with someone who killed two people. It was only after speaking to Dr. Shen did he slowly come to realize that he did, but he still isn't sure why seeing Diana triggered him. As the middle child of three, Dr. Shen had naturally been curious to cover Rocky's relationship with his family members. He told Shen that he thought his mother was manipulative and phony. When they lived together in the same house, he went out of his way to avoid her. These negative feelings towards his mother would actually become more useful for the prosecution, who had a version that was much more intentional. Mulligan described the attack as prolonged but controlled. There was enough evidence to suggest that Rocky had already been inside when Diana got home from Costco. He attacked her as she stepped inside, dragged her into the kitchen area, and ultimately slashed her throat during an intense scuffle. The blood on the floor shows that the couple was dragged to the bathroom and left in the shower with the water running. Diana died from extreme blood loss after he severed her carotid artery, but she also had numerous cuts and blunt force trauma from giving the fight of her life. Perhaps Rocky had been reminded of his own mother as he took out his rage on her. Then he ate a peach, he drank some milk, he took some bananas, a lighter, 
a pager, and some cash he found in the guest bathroom before leaving the home. Rocky had been seen walking around the neighborhood and getting something to eat a few hours before the murders. Were you in a video game then, Rocky? Mulligan challenged. Or when he was seen hiding behind a tree as Diana pulled up in the driveway, getting the hatchet out of his backpack on video surveillance. Were you in a video game then? Did you have to dig through your backpack? Mulligan asked him. It's not like you were able to just push a button on your keyboard and make the hatchet appear in your hand, right? Rocky frowned in confusion. It wasn't like a video game, was it, Rocky? When I get out of my house, I have no thought as to killing some people, Rocky says on the stand. With your hatchet and your two knives and your gloves and your baseball hat, Mulligan argued. And shampoo, Rocky laughed. Oh, is that funny? No, it's not funny, Rocky replied. I just don't know why you keep suggesting otherwise. He stood firm in the fact that he had no intent to kill anyone. Yet Rocky didn't deny killing them. He didn't deny dragging their bodies through the home into the shower. And the prosecution challenged him, saying that this was a way to get rid of evidence. But unfortunately, he didn't realize that Diana's left hand hadn't been fully immersed in water. It's very unlikely, Rocky argued. If I wanted to wash the DNA off of Mrs. Jones' hands, I don't believe moving their bodies to the shower is necessary. Mulligan continued to press the issue, but Rocky acted like he just didn't understand. He said maybe he did it because it was disgusting, and he wanted to keep people from seeing the bodies. Even Rocky has to admit that this reasoning seems more logical thinking than gaming consciousness. And what about all of his lies for weeks and weeks following the murders? The defense would try to keep the interrogation from being played and arguing that if it was, it would only be further demonstration as to how detached Rocky was. But the prosecution argued that the interrogation had taken place a whopping 40 days after the murders, with plenty of real life lived in between. Again, like most evidence, it would be admitted without its full weight declared. Nothing about this case was regular, and Justice Giroux didn't want to cut corners just to get an easy answer. The Crown accused Rocky of putting on an act during questioning, and asked the court to take note that Rocky had repeatedly and intentionally lied to police. By that point, he'd also done numerous internet searches and thrown away bloody clothes and other evidence. But Rocky insisted that he wasn't an immoral person, even in the absence of his guilt. He was shocked and frustrated. He couldn't explain what he'd been feeling during the interrogation. Rocky sways in and out of reality whenever it's convenient for him, but in a court system where remorse is highly regarded, his testimony lacked any sense of humanity. During closings, the defense would stand by its argument that a planned and intentional murder had not been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. If the Crown has not proven the requisite for murder, then there could only be a conviction of manslaughter, Rocky's attorney said again, bringing up the state of mind during the murders and the gaming consciousness. How would a person who otherwise appears normal commit such a horrendous crime? But the prosecution closed with a tremendous amount of evidence and emotional impact, reminding the court that Rocky had purchased a kill kit, brought the weapons out with him that evening with the intent to kill. Rocky deliberately dumped and discarded various pieces of evidence, checked the news for reports of the crime, and lied about it to law enforcement. Given that Dr. Shen's only source of measure for this so-called gaming consciousness and its validity is the murderer, it should be given no weight. And most importantly, over the course of several days on the stand, Rocky himself never once testified that he'd thought he was in a video game. He also never once showed remorse, sadness, or even regret. Instead of gaming consciousness being the reason that a person could appear normal but commit such a horrendous crime isn't as special as the defense would like to think. Where his empathy and compassion should be, Rocky was hollow. The trial was over, but the entire point of the trial was just about to begin. It would mean the difference between murder in the first degree and manslaughter, which carries no minimum sentence. 
Given Canada's track record of release and rehabilitation in past notable cases, it's fair to say that the families were holding their breath with a valid fear. The difference between the two could mean Rocky Rambo having a solid chance at being part of society again. Vince Lee, for example, who beheaded a passenger on a Greyhound bus in Manitoba, had spent just five years in treatment before being granted unsupervised leaves from the facility. But where that case involved a solid diagnosis, Rocky's defense was being wishy-washy about exactly what mental illness he had. How could you possibly rehabilitate someone with no regard for human life who can't even label the problem that needs a solution? If there's no identified triggers to Rocky's transition between the real world and the gaming world, how could society ever be safe with Rocky in it? During the sentencing phase, several impact statements would be read, many by advocates on behalf of family members, noting Diana's achievements, all the things she added to this world and the huge impact that she made in the lives of those around her. Her dance group would speak. Diana's sister would share her heartbreak, having written, Everything was destroyed by an incomprehensible, vicious act of violence. I feel so angry that Diana's life came to an abrupt end. I've been told that life does not have to be fair, but neither should it be so cruel. Even neighbors came to tell the judge about how loved the couple had been, that their absence was felt every single day, and the simple life they'd known would never again exist. Justice Laura Giroux would have to decide if Rocky would serve the sentences back-to-back -back or concurrently. Of course, on behalf of the family and public safety, the Crown would ask that they be served back-to-back, -back for a total of at least 50 years. If Rocky couldn't explain why he'd just suddenly up and murdered two people, couldn't even pinpoint a specific mental illness or a possible way to recover, then he posed a forever threat to the community at large. The defense pleaded for the minimum, arguing that 50 years behind bars would be cruel, giving Rocky absolutely no chance at rehabilitation and make him ineligible for a chance at parole until 75 years old. Justice Laura Giroux addressed the court, having deliberated extensively about her ruling. She stated that the court found that Rocky's actions before, during, and after the killings were goal-oriented. His conduct was incomprehensible, and his attack was controlled, not frenzied. His motive, while not known specifically, was not robbery or theft. It had been a methodical execution. His innocent explanations for both the killings and his purchases two weeks before were not believable. If anything, the extent of the injuries and the brutality of the act implied intent. However, Giroux also stated that 50 years without any chance for parole is unduly long and harsh, given that there is insufficient evidence that Rocky would continue to pose a threat to the community in 25 years' time. Mulligan called the conviction and sentencing a tribute to exceptional work done by the Vancouver police and members of the public who helped them, including Canadian Tire assisting in developing a timeline. I hope that this verdict and sentence brings some comfort to the family members and friends of Diana Ma Jones and Richard Jones, Mulligan told the media. And I'm hoping that from this point forward, there will be less focus on how they died and more on celebrating how they lived. Parole is not guaranteed, but Rocky will be eligible to apply as early as 2042. Rocky's gaming consciousness defense, while not unique, holds little to no water. Since the 1999 Columbine High School massacre, an unfounded correlation between violent events and music, movies, and video games has continued on rumor and fear alone. In the same way that being a master at rock band doesn't necessarily lead to a musical career, or gamers who spend hours playing Madden and never think twice about signing up for a sports team in real life, the link between digital landscapes of violence and their ability to warp a person's sense of reality or influence action is almost non-existent. 
Rocky isn't alone when it comes to a 10 to 15 hour a day habit. There's plenty of gamers out there logging some serious time. Given that gaming has only progressed further in popularity since Rocky's conviction, if there was truth to this, the numbers would show it. If there is any connection between violence and video games, it's on an individual basis where a person's family environment, beliefs about aggression, aggressive behavior itself, personality type, any mental illnesses, etc. would also need to be taken into consideration. Multiple studies, including one over the span of 10 years, found positive social behavior even in those who regularly played extremely violent games. Some studies show that repeated exposure to violent video games can be aggression-enhancing, but this was concluded with young males who were already habitually aggressive. And it's clear that through Rocky's use of language, he often speaks with gaming verbiage. But in his day-to-day life, he was able to interact with his roommates, landlord, strangers in the grocery store who asked him for help, and even a challenging officer for nine hours without even raising his voice. Somehow, for all of those years, he'd been able to emotionally regulate himself and channel his rage into gaming. If anything, he was extremely addicted. There's more studies proving the connection between gaming and its overall positive effects, including its ability to strengthen conflict resolution. But like anything, it can be taken overboard. And Rocky dove right in. The judge had allowed the argument for gaming consciousness to be in the trial, which was the only defense that Rocky had. Yet somehow, Rocky had never once attempted to live as if he was in a video game ever again after September 26, 2017. He'd paid for his groceries and takeout meals. He interacted with strangers and his roommates as normally as ever. He was never once observed being aggressive, violent, or even rude. For someone who apparently believed that his actions held no consequence, he sure did his best to follow the rules and stay under the radar. Even during his interrogation with Detective Terpsma, He was irritated and itching to play his video games, or at least have his phone. Rocky knew the difference between real life and a screen. And his statements about when he realized what he had done are conflicting. His defense attorney likes to say that Rocky finally had a breakthrough moment with him and cried. Conveniently, it's the one and only time that Rocky has ever felt any sort of remorse or sadness, if it even happened at all. But during the trial, Rocky told the court that he knew the murders were real after searching for them in the news, weeks before his arrest and meeting with a lawyer. And he explained that his unchanged life was proof that it hadn't really happened at all. But this wasn't detachment from reality. Not more than any other murderer who was anxiously and arrogantly watching time tick by, hoping that it'll all die down and disappear. And his method of gaining favor remains much of the same behind bars, acting as innocently and naive as possible, biding his time and holding his breath, and so far remaining silent about what he did six years ago. It's hard to imagine Rocky cultivating any amount of authentic remorse. Numerous tributes, educational awards, and memorial scholarships would be created in Diana's honor, including the Diana Ma Jones Advancing the Art and Science Award at the University of Alberta and the Diana Ma Jones Memorial Grant for Innovation at the Canadian Association of Occupational Therapists. She would love that. During an interview about her career, she'd been asked what makes an exceptional occupational therapist, and Diana had said that continuing education is vital to add depth to your practice and to prepare you for when opportunity comes knocking. It's an investment in yourself. As someone who valued learning and cared deeply for her clients, Diana's impact carries on through that support. Rocky may have taken her life, but he couldn't touch her legacy. And their loved ones chose to stay away from any kind of press, not wanting them to be remembered for their gruesome exit of this world, but instead, through all of the beautiful memories that remain in their absence. When the limelight casts back to silent shadow, when the audience has moved on to the next sensational story, 
What's left over is best held preciously for yourself to keep. People would ask them how they feel, what it was like, curious without solution, the words leaving their mouths and opening a door to a pain that otherwise is managed, if barely. It would hurt too much. Instead, tucked safely away within the borders of their most vulnerable moments, Diana and Richard remain alive in memory with them, through the songs they sang and the flowers they planted, inside jokes and familiar stretches of road between places they love to go. Instead of stolen, they're kept. In legacy, in love. Together, always. <laughs> 